yeah. these great people like they're gonna suffer eternal damnation like but also like they're such lovely people and i don't want to change them because i like the way that we interact and the fact that we're different and all this stuff however i'm being told that i have to witness to these people but i don't know how to do that and like now it's taxing my relationship with them because i'm like afraid for them and i'm like trying to show them that i love them but like if i do this they're gonna be really fucking annoyed so yeah. i'm gonna just be quiet i guess you know show love by my actions and they'll be like and, why is and he let so them good go to hell. and it's like no it's usually not people's first thought it's like why is he good he's just a nice guy i don't know it happens to be I know. a christian because you were affected by those people's love kindness endearing qualities and you were never like i should reconsider i should reconsider my faith it's always right, like exactly. you well, yeah. are the one who needs to do the reconsidering it's here. sad that they're right. so wrong <laughs> It's, I know, I know, because otherwise I got so much going for him. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. I'm Jeremiah. And... Was it last week, Casey? Maybe the week before. Maybe it was the last time we did an intro, so I guess it would have been last week where I talked about my cricket pen getting knocked onto the floor and crickets going everywhere. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, either way, I, the following week, I, I was feeding another... Here's another cricket story. I was feeding my bearded dragon, and I was putting a cricket into the... the cage or whatever and i i thought i had picked up two and then dropped one but then i only had one in like the forceps so i was like oh i guess i don't know i looked around i didn't see it and then um we left uh that afternoon that evening went to friends houses we're hanging out and it was like maybe five hours later after feeding my bearded dragon i felt a tickle on my neck and i just like did a like smacked it and i just splatted this cricket that apparently got lost and hung out in my sweatshirt for about five hours. <laughs> so I don't know. I, these crickets are, uh, they're everywhere. Uh, and they're, it's very strange keeping crickets as pets as well. I love the idea of you spilling those things everywhere. And then just that your house sounding like a cicada nest for oh like the God. rest of the year. Thank God. These ones don't really chirp. I don't know if there's like a non chirping kind occasionally you'll hear like a peep out of them, but it's nothing crazy. Very um, polite. But one other eventful thing, not eventful. I just was laughing hysterically was, uh, so Byron, my foster son has been, I don't know. He saw this TikTok. apparently, you know how TikTok trends, go around uh something to do about like just quadrupling the amount of cinnamon and cinnamon sugar in a cinnamon roll so he's like he bought a bunch of yeah that for those who can't that's see jeremiah's facial expression yeah, it just adequately sounds like, yeah that's what kids are doing yes. online sure, <laughs> sure. uh so he's been just buying like the rolls of cinnamon rolls or whatever and uh he went to he, he Kids always, I don't know if you know teenagers these days, but they're never without their AirPods. They always have something stuck in their ear and are talking to other people. So he goes to take his cinnamon rolls out of the oven, leans over the oven, and boop, 
his uh, AirPod just shot right to the back of a 350 degree oven. Oh, <laughs> what did he do about that? He just immediately tried to grab it with his hand. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, so I'd like take the, all the racks out. And then now that it was free, he wanted to grab it. I grabbed it with tongs and like dropped it on the stove. And he immediately goes to grab it off the stove. Like he's like, it's like he, it's like a pet fell in there or something alive that really it means something to him. It's like, I, I was like, what are you doing? It's still hot. It's you can see it melting in the back of the oven. Of course, it's going to be really hot. He's like, I got to see if it still like, works. I have like, to see if it still works. He's like literally like Gollum, like falling into the yes. volcano trying to grab the <laughs> ring. That's it. Did it still work? No, definitely not. He had to order <laughs> another one. Apparently, you could buy them, like, people buy them and then sell them as singles, I guess, or when that happens. Not a bad business model, probably. No. So, the it's putting cinnamon on cinnamon rolls. Did either of you ever do the cinnamon challenge back in the day, or you just have to eat a spoonful of cinnamon? I never did. I like that that... I like that our challenges were pre them going around the internet. Like, that was word of mouth type shit. And we yeah. all knew about the cinnamon challenge. I, oh, that I was certainly it. in the internet age. That was, like, yeah. what... Everybody posted videos of that. Yeah, it was the MySpace era. I did it, but we didn't have cinnamon. So me and a couple of friends used carob powder. Are you familiar with carob powder? <laughs> no. It's it's like a vegan alternative to chocolate. Uh, and it's, it's much terrible. finer. It's Yeah, it's really, really fine, though. So you put a spoonful of it in your mouth, and like my my mouth quit working. It was so fine and so dry. I couldn't. I felt like I couldn't open my mouth to like chew it or swallow it. I had to wait while my body like made enough saliva to slowly like get it into something I could swallow oh my, my throat. And I felt like I couldn't breathe for almost a minute. Yeah. We, video, we made video of this. My friends and I, we like, you know, one of those dumb right on the cusp of let's upload this and put this on the internet before realizing that there's real consequences for that. We spent <laughs> one afternoon doing stupid stuff around the house. Like we made napalm and burned it in the driveway, like homemade napalm burned it in the driveway. Uh, we got my friend to eat a couple bites of a mushroom we found in the woods that we didn't Jesus know anything about. Christ, <laughs> I, know, I know, man. Right. I know. You almost had what manslaughter charges brought against. I mean, God, it gets worse. We, we made a flamethrower out of an air compressor and a piece of PVC pipe. We'd fill it with gas, light the top, and then blow the quick release on the air compressor is, to blow the flame out the end. This is some like homeschool it's kid super shit. Super dangerous. Oh, incredibly dangerous. But yeah, part of that was we do the cinnamon challenge at the end of the day. We do like a shot of Tabasco and then the cinnamon thing. And then my, I think my dad in the video comes downstairs while three of us are just hacking and gagging over the sink. And you can tell he's just like, what is this stupidity? But we <laughs> uploaded it and put it on MySpace. And then somebody ratted us out, like somebody at youth group or whatever ratted this out to my parents and we all got in so much trouble yeah that was like the, the flamethrower first and last time i was like yeah film yourself doing something dumb and put it on the internet yeah the flamethrower <laughs> that one got them really eating, yeah. eating the mushroom that was like boys will be boys glad you're not dead uh but making me involved in the driveway yeah, and doing the flamethrower they were like yeah no you, you're not responsible enough to have stuff right I mean, now arguably eating a mushroom you know nothing about is more dangerous than playing making a flamethrower it is, but they at least it would only kill one person, right? I think it was more of like a, you're if you're dumb enough to go eat a bite out of a mushroom, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, but then you deserve with... to die by flamethrower, also. So right, I mean, but like playing with a flamethrower on on my parents' property by their house that they paid for, they felt a little differently about. Gotcha, that. gotcha. So it's not so much everyone dying as it is that your their house getting 
burned down. So I'm on the same and, page. And everybody dying. Yeah. Like those two things combined. Again, yeah. One guy eats a mushroom. Okay. There's dumb people. They get culled from the herd. Making a flamethrower and burning the house down. You know. You could have hurt know. your sister, Jeremiah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, the cinnamon challenge, it, it really sucks. I definitely had like the ages we all are now. I wouldn't do it. There it's was a myth it. about the cinnamon challenge that you could die doing it because you would inhale too much cinnamon. Did you guys? I felt like I was going to die. That? I, I never knew if that was true when Seems I was Seems like kid. it could happen. It felt like you could drown on cinnamon, I suppose. Like what's the lethal dose of cinnamon? Yeah, well, Everything's got a lethal dose. If it, when it comes <laughs> to putting it in your lungs, there's definitely a lethal dose for everything. Yeah, I was just literally just looking at a website about what, like how much aspirin was too much aspirin and yeah, aspirin poisons poisoning's a thing. How but, high is that limit though? Is it higher than you thought or lower? Uh it was I can't remember what it was. It was a lot. It was he in milligrams. Really Casey doesn't know it. how to do that in his head, so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a thousandth of a gram or something like that. That Grams. doesn't sound like much. Get out of here with that. But uh yeah, it was. Uh, it said that you could get it by taking a huge dose all at once, or you could get it slowly from like taking too much over a long period of time. Like, it could just gradually sneak up on you, and then boom, aspirin liver? poisoning. I'm, so, I'm sure. So it's like alcoholism, but aspirin. Yeah, yeah that sounds about Dude, right. Dude, I remember watching that show, My Strange Addiction, at one point, and this lady was addicted to to taking laxatives. Did you guys ever see that? No, No. I've seen. Oh, my. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't my strange addiction. Someone I work with was watching the show Intervention and a family that she knew growing up was the family that was on it. How wild would that be? That's nice. But anyway, sorry. I see them like living in the in the catacombs under Las Vegas or something. (laughs) But no, this lady was addicted to 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 taking laxatives. I think it started out as like a I'm going to lose weight by taking laxative and just like turning my body into a straight pipe. <laughs> just put, just, just putting cherry bombs on your, your own personal exhaust system. <laughs> uh. But, uh, this lady, she was taking tons, boxes and boxes of laxatives a day. I mean, like, how does your body they, survive that? It, it looked like, uh, like, at, at one point, she like lifts her shirt so you can see her stomach, and it doesn't. It looks wrong. Looks like a vampire's been draining her for the last like six months. Comes every day, <laughs> takes a little. <laughs> it, looks like, it looks like one of those mylar balloons that like slowly descended back to Earth after it got loose at a birthday party. <laughs> but yeah, she was a. Uh, how much laxative do you have to take before it starts to destroy your finances? Jeez. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> I don't know how much laxative costs, but I imagine it, it would still require like it's probably cheaper than I think, to be honest, which means if your finances are ruined by it, that's how you even how do you have liquid left in your body it doesn't even really make your body sense. probably builds up a tolerance right where it takes a lot more laxative to get you clean than it used to i think so i don't think this was working the way that she thought it was but it was it was uh you know it was a obsessive compulsive thing i think yeah that's sad real sad hope she's uh doing all right she's now. holding them in now yeah now casey you had um 
an eventful week. Didn't you lose your entire fortune uh, in crypto? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, yeah, let's shift and talk about financial laxatives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this one doesn't necessarily affect me directly, but uh, I sent like a bunch of uh, frantic texts to Sam earlier in the week about the FTX scandal. And Which because it's not because it's like ruining me. I don't really have any stake in it or anything like that. But it is such a wild story. Have you guys followed this at all? Just I've, a little bit. I've only followed what you've sent me in short form. Yeah, I watched that video you sent me today. Um, real quick, though, I feel like as a recurring uh, segment on the podcast, we do need to check in with Let's Go Branding Coin. Um, <laughs> it is currently trading at 0. 0.00000012 dollars. Uh, it is, is that down up or down? It's down 99.87% in the last was... year. <laughs> it's just still going down. That means some I mean, people still have... Some people still have money tied up in this. You can, you, you know can, Well, you can technically always like it could. You could always keep carving a fraction of a a billionth of a penny up. You know. You know what that tells me? Liberty is dead, and this country deserves to burn. That's probably true. <laughs> but uh, FTX. Yeah. Okay. So the Freedom Coin. It is a fascinating story uh, that involves like. Just like the absolute worst of the like crypto boom, it involves corruption like all the way to the tippy top of the country. Uh, just like corporate shenanigans, crony capitalism, and of course, just like ugly, uh, really nasty like back and forth business practices between I these people. I feel like it includes all of your favorite types of things when it comes to listening to podcasts are like wrapped up in this story. Dude, I cannot wait for the Netflix documentary. Yeah, well, it's probably going to be out in like 30 to 60 days. Yeah, yeah. It's like when Epstein died and they immediately had that documentary. It was like yeah. 30 days after he's like, uh, quote unquote, hung himself. Yeah. <laughs> They've got well, like a, a documentary on Netflix about it, but <laughs> so this there's this guy Sam Bankman-Fried that's kind of been like the darling of the like sort of the mainstream media's darling of the crypto world for quite some time now, and uh, this guy has had like this meteoric rise and an even more meteoric fall in uh the last i mean literally like this guy went from being worth 24 billion dollars to now i mean i think he he's he's in the hole this guy is destroyed he needs to go to jail that so he's the, he's young right yeah yeah i think he's like 30 years old oh my god so and what are we doing world. wrong guys we haven't had our first ponzi scheme go belly up like are we even trying to make it in america we're not well, none we're of not our parents are lobbyists that's what we did wrong first yeah you know born to the wrong family is typically why you aren't successful so i guess you know we're <laughs> par for the course so far it's a generational criminality is a big big factor <laughs> so this kid he starts out his his mom is like a politically connected uh lobbyist fundraiser she runs a a super pack or two. Uh, his dad is like tied into the, I forget exactly, but this kid starts out at this, 
basically like an investment firm called Jane Street Capital. And he starts playing around with cryptocurrency and he figures out that he can buy Bitcoin here cheaper and then sell it in Japan for a profit. And okay. he starts like quickly flipping Bitcoin back and forth between here and Japan and made a fortune off of it. So he starts he starts looking at the cryptocurrency world and you know all of the awful things that have totally ruined our economy over the past like since we've been adults basically uh you know derivatives and all of this like insider trading and stuff like that on Wall Street stock buybacks that's a good one don't forget stock buybacks but he starts looking at crypto and he's like why can't we do this over here and so he starts his own like crypto hedge fund called Alameda Research. So this is this is first. Okay. Alameda Research comes first. And later on down the road he founds FTX. And this I'm saying that later on. This is yeah, this is like 2017 he founds Alameda Research. Like this is all recent history. Yeah, it's fresh. And he basically like stocks Alameda Research with all of his buddies from either Jane Street Capital or uh MIT. He had some connections at MIT. Oh. One of which is this very strange girl named Caroline Ellison. And she's weird. She's very strange. Is this the person that you sent me a video of doing an interview? Yes. Okay. So part of what makes this even more strange and interesting is that Sam Bankman Freed, Carolyn Ellison, they're in this weird polyamorous relationship with a whole bunch of coworkers and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's going to <laughs> go well. I, it's bad enough. It, it, you see, I've seen enough of those relationships fail in general. Never mind adding, let's work together. <laughs> and let's work on a Ponzi scheme together. Yeah. Typically, right. people like, you shouldn't date your coworkers, but let's enter into a polyamorous Ponzi scheme and this will be better. It's because it's like, it's so many negatives, it has to go positive. Well, don't forget the uh, habitual drug abuse. So, you know, while we're in there. That dump usually a helps bunch you. of amphetamines and all sorts of other, you know, drugs in on top of all of that. So, uh, Carolyn posted this status at some point. And uh, here's, okay, so Polly's unconventional as it is. Uh, she posts this status and it says, when I first started my foray into poly, I thought of it as a radical break from my trad past. But to be honest, I've come to decide the only acceptable style of poly is best characterized as something like, quote, imperial Chinese harem. None of this non-hierarchical bullcrap. Everyone should have a ranking of their partners. People should know where they fall on the ranking, and there should be vicious power struggles for the higher ranks. <laughs> How many people what? are supposed to be in this harem? That's so like romantic. Yeah. I think there was like 10. Okay. And they all kind of live together. This is all taking place in the Bahamas too. So it's kind of an offshore sort of deal. <laughs> Away from the long arm of the law, it sounds like. So he was already rich at this point, right? From from flipping Bitcoin between countries? Yes. But then like, okay. Alameda I realize and then FTX makes it way crazier, like his wealth. Okay. I, I wonder how rich he was at that point because... I would like to think, and obviously this is never what happens, or at least you never hear about it what happens, so this must just not be the way humans are wired. I'd like to feel if I got that first $100 million or something, I'd be like, you know what? Good enough. I'm out. Like, 
I'll just disappear now. You'll never see me again. But there's got to be something about these people that's like, I'm worth how many billions of dollars? You know, would get me a lot more fraud. Yeah, this always that, works out. It's that like competitive entrepreneurial drive that challenges you to think, I haven't screwed the entire world yet. It's time right. to go a little bit harder. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Alameda Research is like this crypto hedge fund. And there's there's a lot of stuff involved in this thing that, you know, all the YouTube like video blog sphere or whatever is like bringing up that is not necessarily like confirmed, but it's floating around out there in the ether. And one of which was like a promotional document from early on in Alameda Research's you know, founding that purported to promise customers a 15% annualized return in order to drop people in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like their whole thing was like, you know, they don't, they, they're willing to take risks and to, uh, to bet big and stuff, which they, you know, that part is honest. They did. did And they lost it all. (laughs) So Carolyn Ellison, this odd, odd, girl she has no trading experience they work together at at jane street but no real indication that she had any sort of trading experience and she is she quickly becomes the ceo of alameda research <laughs> okay and she's making she's taking big swings with their funding so later on you know sam find founds ftx which is a crypto exchange he looked at like the market and thought like Okay, there's a lot of other crypto exchanges. You know, there's like Crypto.com. There's Voyager, which pains me to even bring up. That's where my okay. money is tied up, and I'm never getting it back. <laughs> really? Wait, so an exchange, yeah. a crypto exchange, is just like basically a trading place for where you go to buy and sell crypto. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's other ways that you can buy crypto, but the exchange is kind of like fast track the whole process and make it easier to like move your money around buy and sell stuff i mean it's you know it's it's like robin hood sort of functionally gotcha. it's somewhere between like td ameritrade and craigslist <laughs> perfect yeah <laughs> skews one way hard but so he kind of looked at like all these other exchanges that seem to be marketing themselves to like the lowly retail investor like me and said, you know, I want to do something that caters to industry, you know, finance industry insiders and experienced people. So that was kind of his goal with this. And this is kind of where this other guy enters the equation. And I can't, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but uh, his everybody just refers to him as CZ. And he's the CEO of Binance, which is like the other leading crypto exchange. So Sam Bankman-Fried comes out with this idea. He's looking for funding and investing and stuff like that. And CZ is kind of like one of the original funders of the project. So he puts $100 million into this project in exchange for 20% of the stake of the company. Wow. Right. So it blows up. It's going super well. Meanwhile, like Sam Bankman-Fried is kind of like this like he's a branded figure, like he's, he's popping up in interviews and all this stuff. And he's kind of like this quirky billionaire that wears pajamas and doesn't look like he bathes and he lives in the Bahamas. And he's really into this thing called quote, effective altruism. That was like his jam. And it was basically like, you know, you 
look around you, use whatever tools you have to make practical solutions to real world problems. Like you're supposed to do something every day to make the world a better place is what and it was. It's so crazy that it's probably uh, worse than he left it. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely worse. Yes. That, that is like rich people jargon for let me feel good about myself while ultimately being a horrible person. Right. And he was like, very, I mean, he promoted this idea about himself. Like one of the things they said is like he uh, people made a big deal out of how of the fact that he drove a Toyota rather than like some really expensive car. So it was like a marketing campaign for him. He drives a Toyota. But meanwhile, he has a 30 million dollar mansion in the Bahamas that he lives in. Yeah, it's a joke. Yeah, of you know, course. Um, so this thing just grows and it gets bigger and bigger and he starts putting tons and tons of money into political and lobbying efforts. And, and this is where this is going to get like real wild on the conspiracy theory front. I mean, not for bad reasons, but just like, for instance, he, so he's the second largest democratic donor behind George Soros. Okay. Soros name is one of those, like, does it pop up in every single conspiracy or just most of them? At some point, yes. He hits the triumvirate of, like, left-leaning, Jewish, rich. Like, he's checking all the boxes. You can make him work for anything. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of like the... Man, what's the the old-school conspiracy theory family that everything comes down to? Oh, the Rockefellers? Like, one of those things? Yeah. He's the... the TikTok to the Rockefellers like MySpace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's throwing around tons of money. He donated $5 million to the Biden campaign in 2020. It's not a small sum. He's he's donated $50 million to various like Democratic politicians in the lead up to the 2022 midterms, which just happened. Okay. But th- what, what you have to remember, too, is that like this is a... It, this is not a principled thing. And there, I think what shows that more than anything is like, there's a guy named Ryan Salome, who's the co-CEO of the company, not as much of a public figure. He donated $23 million to Republicans in the lead up to the midterms and all that. They're just playing both sides. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to them. They're currying favor and they're greasing the skids. And it, that's that's what all of this is it's it's throwing around money for positive press coverage for you know an insider track when it comes to legislation and stuff um this guy i mean he basically like bought his way into the you know the 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 sec's office i mean he was having closed door meetings with the head of the sec is this guy named uh gary genster gensler but basically, like, he was kind of publicly making himself out to be like, I'm the the principal billionaire that's going to make crypto, you know, work for everybody and it's going to change people's lives. And so he was like lobbying for legislation to regulate cri- the crypto markets. He wanted like a uh, licensing system for crypto exchanges, which, you know, would have made like it would have hurt a lot of the other thing, you know, competitors except for FTX. So. How would it not have hurt him? Just because he probably would have been first on the in line for a license with all of his funding. Like how would how would he have escaped? Because it sounds like he was. I mean, we're about to find out why they lost their money. It sounds like there was some nefarious shit going on. So how would they have not been 
affected by a regulated market or licensing type of solution to their lack of regulation. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily like a written in advantage, you know, but like, for instance, like, I think just the proximity to these regulators gave them privileges. Like there's like a leaked email supposedly between him and someone at the SEC. And they said that they were going to give him like a no action relief. Look, I can't tell you exactly what that means. Basically, it's like we (laughs) recognize that things don't add up about what you're doing, but we're going to take no action at this time. Oh, convenient. So it's just I think a lot of it comes down to like proximity, like you're in these people's office and you have like relationships with them and that affects how they how they view your criminality. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, he's a nice guy. Oh, he's the best. He's an effective altruist, you know, he's a, and, and like, what's crazy about this is like, you start Googling Sam Bankman fried or FTX, like you're looking for the current articles and stuff like that about the crisis. And you can't help, but just continually come across like puff pieces about the guy from like literally three months ago. I mean, he's like on the court, the cover of Fortune magazine. He's on the cover of Forbes. Like, like they were literally like blowing this dude. I mean, uh, 30 days ago. And meanwhile, he's like he's like two weeks away from losing his entire fortune and being exposed as a fraud. And they're still covering for this guy big time. Well, because they look like asshats if they're like in bed with that kind of nonsense. Yeah. And I think his money is still buying him it's still currying favor in the media as well but uh ftx grows enormous at at one point they were averaging like 10 billion dollars a day in trade volume between like a million users so it was this i think it was the the biggest or the second biggest crypto exchange at at its peak like crypto the market kind of starts to deteriorate and stuff some of these other crypto firms start to you know, show signs of stress or they're going through bankruptcy and whatever. And he tried to be like the white knight of the crypto industry and like go in and offer bailouts to these other firms in exchange. Like he could buy the crypto off their books at really cheap rates and still guy. look like he's saving the company and all that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's a key factor in this is FTX had a native token that's like an exchange token, which a lot of these exchanges have. It's kind of like their internal crypto. Like crypto.com is a big one around here. They have like stadiums and stuff like that, right? They have CRO. That's their native token. And there's like perks that come with holding CRO if you're using crypto.com. Yep. Same thing for FTX. You know, I was trying to think of like how it would work, how it like what makes sense as a comparison. And it's it's almost like, you know, back in the day, like the mining towns would have like a company store mm-hmm. and they would issue people's checks in company store currency, which was kind of worthless, but okay, you could use yeah. it at the store, right? Think about that as almost like a like these exchange tokens are kind of, to me, it seems like they're kind of like a voluntary system of that. Well, like, is it like issuing stock options to somebody when they join your startup? I mean, I think in some cases, yeah. Yeah, so it's not necessarily sketchy other than like it's based on crypto, which is 95% sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's it's not it's not bad in theory, but it's 
not backed up by anything. And like, you know, maybe you get perks and price breaks and, you know, exchange fees are lower and stuff like that while you're using FTX. If you're holding a bunch of FTT, which is the native token, right? Mm -hmm. But like you have to trade your Bitcoin or Ethereum for that FTT. And, yeah. you know, if the value of FTT falls apart, like it, it, it's about to in like 30 seconds, you're out of luck. I mean, you're, you're left holding the bag on this thing. So CZ, the guy from Binance that I talked about a minute ago. <laughs> so like I said, he, he had originally bought a 20% stake in the company at its founding for $100 million. So like a couple of years ago, Sam Bankman freed, he starts FTT, the token, right? And he decides he wants to buy out that stake that they have in the company and effectively like minimize their say in the company. You know, it's, it's one of their biggest competitors. It's, I think it's their biggest competitor. So he, he buys out CZ's stake in the company for $2 billion worth of FTT. So he issues this guy $2 billion worth of his native token in exchange for that 20% stake, right? So Binance, their biggest competitor, and one that has kind of a hostile relationship with this guy because he's back in, you know, in some congressman's office lobbying for ways to like legislate Binance into a weaker position, right? They don't, they don't, he doesn't appreciate that. He now holds a huge amount of this FTT token. And it's not a high volume trade token. It's not something that's like being bought and sold all the time, like Bitcoin or something like that, right? Yeah. So meanwhile, Alameda Research and FT, FTX, nobody knows it. Everybody thinks that they're separate entities, you know, started by the same guy. They have this weird commingled relationship that's kind of off the books. So Carolyn Ellison the CEO of, of Alameda Research is playing fast and loose with other people's money. She's taking big swings, making big bets, and a lot of them are not paying off. Because she, believe it or not, is in her like late 20s and maybe isn't like a god of finance. Is that part of it? Yeah, she had no experience coming in and she's 27 now. So she's treating it she's, like she's young. A first timer betting everything on horse racing when they've never watched a horse race. <laughs> Right. And I don't know that you can really blame her for this because I think Sam Bankman Freed is probably calling a lot of the shots on what they do. Yeah. And, I mean, and if you're putting a person like that into a position of power, there's I've, without any credentials and no oversight, I mean, to be able to just throw money around like that without any sort of like, hey, wait, let's have a conversation about how, like, this was all enabled by him, it seems. I think it's interesting is weren't both of Sam Bankman Freed's parents, aren't they like compliance lawyers or something like mm -hmm. or law professors? I, I think that was part of the way he got away with all this, right? Is people saying, oh, well, if there was anyone that was going to be legit, obviously this guy knows the right thing to do. Like, obviously, this is one of the real companies and not one of the scams. And that has to be part of why people it seems like the whole world just bowed down i was like sure you know what you're doing 30 year old or 25 year old you seem legit go for it everybody really just bought into this idea that he was like this quirky genius that was like two steps ahead of the curve on crypto stuff like i mean that's what that's where like 
that's where my brain starts to drift into conspiracy territory too, is like this guy raised a lot of money from a lot of people who don't just throw around dollars, right? Yeah. Like they don't, he they raised, check out their investments a little bit before putting millions of dollars into them. He, he raised $2 billion from financial firms and other investment firms and stuff like that, like BlackRock. And it doesn't make sense. And like, there's so many things that look like just bizarre when you, when you hear about them after the fact, like there was one example they gave where there's a company called like Sequoia Investments or something like that, big financial firm, supposedly while he's on the phone lobbying them for like 200 and some million dollars in, uh, in investments, he's on the call talking to them about it while simultaneously playing League of Legends. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, like quirky genius. And they gave it to him. Like I said, he raised $2 billion worth of money from these investment firms, which do not just throw money around. It's it's so strange. Like it doesn't make sense. Like who is it? It's like, is he just, I mean, he obviously isn't just like, he has, that's like the behavior of someone who's like a puppet. Like, did you guys, I don't know if you guys watched uh, Silicon Valley. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, was it was a big head, big Eddie? Yes. Where he's just like a total fuck off and doesn't, <laughs> and he just keeps like, what? I mean, getting, he ends up like in such high positions and then eventually it's all taken away from him because like we don't need this guy as our pawn anymore. But it, it feels like that. That's what it feels like listening to how this guy functions. Well, it's, I think yeah. we really love the myth of the like, the you know young genius wonderkin is somehow ahead of it but like let's not discount greed like a lot of these banking things yeah you'd think they would know they would do their due diligence but through every financial crisis that we've had you always find companies that are just like gambling on you know the housing crisis type stuff of like what do you mean we can't just buy up large chunks of people's debt and then shuffle it around and then give people who have no financial backing whatsoever massive home loans like what do you mean this is a house of cards like it it shocks you every single time and you're like how dumb could these people have been and every single time there's always some people who are that dumb and not dumb like they're unintelligent but dumb like their greed and everything makes them very short-sighted and then they bet on like well you know crypto's a rocket crypto's going up this kid seems like he knows what he's doing we're not investing in mount gox or something dumb like that like this is a real you know this is one of the real ones sure have some money like it's, it could just be greed. It's hard to hear this and and not feel like you're talking to me about me. <laughs> Why is that? No reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So here's where all the trouble really happens. Um, so he's out. Sam's out making like these big swings, right? Where he's like trying to bail out these other crypto firms that are in trouble and all of this stuff. And, you know, he's doing a lot of this using FTT, their native token, right? Which, I mean, when you boil it down to what it is, like this is a coin that he created that's backed by nothing, right? <laughs> he he created this coin, he artificially attributed value to it, and then he used it as collateral. Just like the Federal Reserve time. does, Casey. I've been waiting for you to switch into like the gold standard at yeah, many points I was points just going to make a point. I was say, <laughs> what do you think the overlap of people who think that we need to go back to the gold standard is and also buys crypto? Oh, it's there. Yeah, yeah that Venn diagram huge. exists. Huge. <laughs> Sorry, Casey. I just 
it really sounded like there's been a bunch of times where I'm like, oh, he's going to say it now. He's going to say it now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There's parallels. I think they can remain unspoken. I have an unspoken. (laughs) (laughs) But so, like I said, uh, Alameda Research's investments are not going well. Right. And it's sometime like a couple months ago, uh, Carolyn Ellison is on a call and she like offhandedly admits that like Alameda's basically like their their obligations are being met with by FTT or by FTX. So FTX is transferring funds and value to them in order to back up their bad investments that they're making which is a big no-no. I mean, she basically like admitted to criminality on the spot. That is, that is exactly a Ponzi scheme, right? Is you don't have enough money to float. Well, I guess it's not exactly, I guess a Ponzi scheme is you're bringing in other people and you, cause you need their money to support the money you've already committed to. This is kind of like that, but it's a, it's two companies playing fast and loose with each other to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. In a way in which it would never happen unless those two companies were, incestuously connected by the same person right so meanwhile sam makes this post on twitter saying something about like hey uh gonna be shifting around some crypto wallets it's something that we do occasionally it's not a big deal no reason to uh to be concerned or anything like that in doing so he transfers four billion dollars worth of assets most of it in ftt the native token to Alameda Research, whoa, which is the single biggest crypto transfer ever made. <laughs> it's like no big deal, just some routine maintenance, yeah. just cleaning out some wallets, whatever. So somebody starts this. People start looking at at uh, Alameda's like uh, records and stuff, and they have a huge amount of FTT on their balance sheet, which red flags start going off left and right. And Coindesk, which is kind of like a crypto publication, on November 2nd. So, I mean, like all of this, we're talking about a couple weeks ago at this point, right? Coindesk publishes an article about Alameda Research's books talking about how concerning it is that they have all of this FTT. Like a huge portion of their value and assets is is in FTT, Sam Bankman-Fried's token that he created, right? And if you remember... Our buddy CZ at Binance, he's holding at what at one point was $2 billion worth of FTT, a a coin that's not heavily traded, that doesn't show a lot of volume and stuff like that on a daily basis. So while the murmurs and stuff are going around about this and Sam Bankman-Fried and Carolyn Ellison are online on Twitter being like, no big deal, everything's fine, all good, nothing to worry about, it's all good, CZ tweets out, that Binance was going to liquidate all of their holdings in FTT. Oh my God. Like single-handedly lit a match and set the company on fire in one shot. It's like basically that's saying like start the run on the bank now. Like that's what that means. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it, what it means and what happened. So people start freaking out and they start trying to like pull their money out of FT, out of FTX and, they do not have the assets to back it up because they've slowly let Alameda like siphon off all of their 
their assets and value. They've been lending customer deposits to Alameda so that they can back up their bad trades. Ponzi scheme. That's a Ponzi scheme. (laughs) What's hilarious is there's a, there's a, an interview that Sam Bankman free did on like some finance podcast, like over the summer, it was in like June or July or something like that, where he's trying to explain to this old head finance guy, like the, the, the way that crypto works and stuff like that. And basically just flat out describes a Ponzi scheme. (laughs) And the guy calls him out on it. And he's like, he goes, I'm kind of a cynical guy. That was the most cynical explanation I've ever heard of the crypto market. And he's like, well, you're just old. (laughs) Basically what he said. Solid retort. (laughs) So the bank run starts, people can't get their money out and uh, the walls start to come crashing down. So in a, in desperation, Sam Bankman Freed goes to CZ privately and, and asks for a, a bailout like hat in hand asks him to like buy out the company from him. So CZ makes this post uh, basically saying that like they were going to, Binance was going to be acquiring FTX as a company. They were buying them out as a strategic deal and blah, 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 right? Meanwhile, the, the, the agreement is drawn up in a way that like, he has he basically is able to dump this agreement for any reason at all. And after like <laughs> three terrible. minutes of reviewing FTX's books and internals and stuff like that, he tweets out on Twitter that the deal is off and they're no longer buying the I mean Elon Musk wishes he had that guy's contract lawyer. <laughs> right? <laughs> so like like first off dumps all of the crypto that he's holding in this company, right? Triggers the bank run. This guy comes to him hat in hand and asks for a bailout. He publicly states that he's going to buy the company out, which stabilizes things a little bit. People are like, sigh of relief. Okay, maybe things aren't going to fall apart. Two days later, announces that the deal is off because there's like malfeasance in their book, you know, bookkeeping or something like that. As it turns out, uh, Sam Bankman Freed had kind of like, I mean, not only does it, he had transferred, I think it's $10 billion worth of customer funds out of FTX into Alameda Research to fund their ridiculous trading policies. And he basically had a, had a backdoor engineered into the whole thing where he could like change the company's financial records and stuff at will. Wow. So all this starts to fall apart. Uh, a handful of shadowy figures are able to pull their, you know, billions of dollars in money out of the company. Nobody knows where that went yet. It's just out there in the ether. And and meanwhile, the company also supposedly gets hacked. And another huge group of, of customers lose all of their holdings and stuff. I mean, it is, it's a mess. It's a total like criminal disaster at the highest level. Yet no arrests have been made. No, and I mean, who knows? It might be too early for that, though. Like, I mean, it's financial crimes can take a while to investigate. Like Casey said, this is very, very recent. It's been melting down over the last month. So I'm sure the FBI is interested in this to some degree. 
um, since they're located in the Bahamas, we'll see whether or not that's a magical get out of money jail free card. Ooh, but yeah, maybe. I think he's kind of like on the lamb right now. So I'm sure they're going to be looking for extradition and be like, wow, I could do anything I want for the rest of my life with this money and then call it there. That's what you got to do. I hear Argentina is a good place to disappear. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah. So this also being unregulated, it doesn't obviously absolve somebody from actual crimes like this, like even or in some way does it because it's like a crypto investment like do the same laws no apply? no I mean, he's definitely no they're definitely still committing fraud i think fraud yeah while you should not victim blame people i have less compassion for people who lost their money in this than i do for people whose like mortgages were sold to another bank who does yeah. bad terms on them or something like that this is more like you're participating in a super greedy gold rush that's all built on lies and nothing so like and everyone says the whole time, like, it's how you really feel about crypto, not your wallet, not your money. Have you heard that term before? Of like, (laughs) basically if you're storing on someone else's exchange, you should treat it like that money can be stolen at any point. Like that's the advice people make that should tell you what type of thing you're participating in. And I do own some crypto, but like it, it just shouldn't be that surprising. I think is what I'm saying. If like, of course they're all scams. Everything related to crypto pretty much has been a scam. Yeah, I think I think there's there's things in there that are that are great in theory, but I don't know. It's it's over the past few years it's degenerated into like just a another like American get rich quick scheme. Yeah. Right, because it's like well, everything else. Yeah, like it's not that crypto the technology doesn't have really cool applications and that's what people get all excited about. But crypto, the application of it right now is all Ponzi schemes and get rich quick schemes and pump and dumps and other things like both of those things can be true at the same time. I think the technology is really cool. It's just that no one's come up with a practical application for it right now that isn't a worse version of something we already have. Yeah. Like NFTs. Like it's just a more (laughs) annoying version of a serial number. Most people, it's like most people, like a lot of investments that people make with usd are like long term we know you know there'll be some return on it it's not all gambles i mean you could be you could do day trading and shit like that and you know what you're dealing with on that front but with this i don't i don't know anyone who's like i'm investing in this so that way 20 years down the road i make a lot of money it's like i'm gonna put some money in this and i'm gonna hope it quadruples and then i'm gonna pull it out and make having a market so volatile that's dependent on you wanting to pull money out of something constantly so that way the people who have the money can't really depend on it. I don't, it just seems like a, a goofy sort those, of way. Those long term investors exist, but they're, those are the guys that bought Bitcoin, you know, eight years ago yeah. and they've never sold it ever. And they just continually buy more and more and more of it every time it dips. And like, those are the people who, who, are bought into the concept. And then there's people like me that are like, Elon Musk is going on SNL on Saturday and Dogecoin's going to quadru Dogecoin's going to be worth a thousand dollars a coin. So I should buy 10,000 of them and pay off my house. Yeah. It's for sure going to happen. Did you do that? (laughs) Not that many, you know, I was like, did you do one of those things? (laughs) I I did that on a smaller scale. Yes. But, He's trying to pay off his car, but yeah, got a 14 Subaru that needs to be off the books, boy. 
I mean, yeah, you need to pay it off before the engine inevitably goes. <laughs> Car guy do that. So I think, uh, I think there's so many parts of this that are really interesting. And if you're at all interested in this, what's really fascinating is like, go and just Google Sam Bankman Freed or FTX scandal or whatever. And just look at like the mainstream media platforms articles about this. And they, they are totally running cover for this guy. Like this guy is Bernie Madoff times 10. Like I think they said that the, the value, the, the total value of the, of the Enron scandal, which hurt our entire economy and stuff back when that happened. I mean, that was like 18 or $20 billion worth of, worth of value that that fell apart and this is 50 and yet they're talking about this guy as if he's some sort of way he's a good guy and he just fell victim to bad people in his inner circle or you know there's good things about this and i think there's one article from like wall street journal or some one of those mainstream publications that was like sam bankman freed actually did the financial system a favor like what do you think the difference between this and enron is like with Enron, a lot of sweet old retired people's retirement savings dried up. And with this, everyone's kind of like, yeah, it's people who invested in crypto getting robbed. Like, guess it's another Tuesday. Well, I mean, a, a teacher's pension fund in, in Canada lost $100 million on it. A teacher's pension fund was invested in crypto? I think this is not as like... Yikes. It's I, I think there's... Like I said, there was a lot of like large mainstream institutions and stuff that were invested in this guy's deal. That's right. And he was specifically targeting like money management firms and things like that. Like this is going to have longer reaching like uh, consequences than, I don't know if Shiba Inu goes under and like every dude in the trailer park that thinks he's buying a new trampoline this year, isn't going to get one after all. (laughs) But I don't know, man, it's, it's crazy. And I think it like really lays bare how broken like our media and our political system and stuff is. I mean, literally, I mean, it's not like it's news to anyone, but enough money and you can just buy your way into the upper echelon of the government and start like co-sponsoring legislation. (laughs) I mean, this kid did it. He was nobody five years ago and he was in closed door meetings with the chairman of the SEC. Yeah, there's also like an element of fake it till you make it, I think, because he obviously like has enough charm and everything that people perceive him as being legitimate too. you know, like part of it is the money for sure. But I think part of it's probably also the like catch me if you can-ness, like the showmanship of like, why can't I? Why can't I just like give a bunch of donations to both sides of the political aisle, you know, him and his friends, and then just get myself inserted into legislation at the age of 30? Like, who's going to tell me no? And that is kind of, in some good ways, that's how the system works, but also in these very obviously horrible ways, it's really easy to manipulate. But like, I don't know, I'll give props to him for that, like that one tiny piece of it is the hubris. Like if if only that could have been applied towards something helpful, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I know what you're thinking, like people listening to this, probably thinking like, I mean, I could see how he'd get sucked up into it, you know the casual drug use and his polyamorous group of people fighting out their power struggles, partying in the Bahamas, go Google these people like these, they look like a bunch of dorks. I'm sorry. Like (laughs) they do like also you look at them and you're like, 
did he wear his hair like that when he was meeting with members of Congress? Like in his weird white boy, unwashed Afro looking thing he had going on. Dude, I know Comic-Con people. These are Comic-Con people. I know exactly. Like <laughs> or, or Renfair people. That's would have been my first yeah. guess. <laughs> I mean, heavy overlap, I'm guessing. Yeah, Ellison, like she definitely looks like she should be wearing like a maiden's outfit, eating a giant turkey leg, like at a Ren Fair. Like that just you see it in her face. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, then if you hear an interview with her, like I can't remember if that video that I sent you had an interview with a clip of her in it, but like she sounds exactly what you'd expect. Like she's got this like <laughs> very flighty. Very flighty. She's like, I don't actually need to use math much in my position. You know, like I could have just skipped my math degree to do what I do now. And meanwhile, she's losing billions. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when a horse girl inherits the CEO ship of a finance company. <laughs> horse girl vibes for yeah. sure. And and Sam has like serious like League of Legends enthusiast vibes. <laughs> so I think what we're saying is we're all jealous that we didn't get in on this sooner. <laughs> it seems like there was a yeah. lot of money to be made here. Dude. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm just always looking for the right scam. Ideally, it'd be you a scam that ended up here. where only bad people lost money, right? Like, obviously, that's the type of scam you're looking for, you know? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> He's just trying to get his bag. That's all. Cases like that is there's, what I'll tell myself. Yeah, so. There's no God, and we're all going to be dirt someday. So. <laughs> oh, we, okay. That's. Hold your wallet close because I'm coming for it. <laughs> Casey has deconstructed to nihilism. That is one step along the path to enlightenment. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, well uh, should we introduce our guest for the week? Yeah. Our guest is singer, songwriter Ian McConnell. He is a Nashville based musician. And I found him actually just on TikTok. And he had this song called Important. And it was clearly pulling from some themes of like growing up religious. Um, and I mean, the the, uh, the point of the song is pretty much life doesn't have a meaning, but, and we're not that important. And that's also great. So he had, I, I heard that and I was like, I got to get in touch with this guy. Cause I feel like he's got a story there. And he was so, I would you say he's the most positive guest we've had on? the the podcast casey maybe so he's like ranks up there with bianca yeah it, he and he's um <laughs> yeah so he, obviously uh i was correct he grew up christian and we talked to him and despite his like shift out of it is just i don't know a total force for complete and total positivity and he was such a pleasure to talk to and you should definitely check out his music and his, sorry, if, his YouTube page, a total blank. Um, yeah, check out his music, check out his YouTube page, his Instagram. He posts a lot of his clips and reels on Instagram. And uh, yeah. Well, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to it. And don't forget that we have a Discord server where you can jump in on the conversation and talk to a bunch of cool people who, uh, you know, also played Chubby Bunny in the back of a church van. And that being said, enjoy our conversation with Ian McConnell. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Ian McConnell. Ian, what's going on, man? What to do? I'm hanging out in Nashville. I'm drinking 
a chai latte that I got before I took my nap. So I only drank a little bit of it. So I have a little bit left. It's a good day. Oh, see, that's strategic. I get real strategic with buffalo wings. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like, buffalo wings are good, but cold buffalo wings for breakfast the next day is unbeatable. And you typically like to eat buffalo wings before you nap. Is that right? I I like to eat buffalo wings at all times, (laughs) you know, and honestly, like, that's one of the coping mechanisms I developed after I left church was like, I feel sad. Buffalo wing. <laughs> I guess that works. Uh, so Ian, I'm super excited to learn about your life. I um, found you on TikTok, and uh, you're performing a little song shirtless by the pool looking great called uh, important. And there is just some references in there that I was just like, Oh, this guy definitely gets it. He grew up, he grew up a certain way. So I was like, <laughs> I got to talk to him. I got to see, especially because uh, if I listened to your music and I didn't like it and I thought it was really shitty, I would have not reached out to you, but I found it very entertaining and I ended up finding you on Spotify and throwing it on a good bit. And it's, it's fun, man. I, I love the, I love what you, I've guess I didn't go through your whole catalog, but your, the way I wrote it season mm-hmm. one is mm-hmm. uh get stuck in my head, man. It's good shit. It definitely Ooh. is get stuck in your head tunes because I've had that important song stuck in my head for two days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, man. All that stuff was so fun to write because I like my music up until this year was I, I had been on TikTok for a couple of years, usually doing like silly songs or like telling jokes and like or like singing one liner jokes. I did that for a while. Then I did some parody songs for a while um, and like just a bunch of different things wherever the spirit kind of moved so to speak, growing up Christian, yeah. um, you know, um, and then this year, like I, I guess towards the end of last year, I started writing like full length, like sillier songs. I was like, I'm not going to actually put these out or whatever. And then they actually kind of came together. So that's where important came from. And like a lot of the songs on this season one project and the way I wrote it was fun too, because I was a, uh, just a way to, you know, because I, I, I started out posting these songs on TikTok, just, you know, playing acoustic guitar or playing the piano or whatever. And they like kind of popped mm-hmm. off there, which was nice. Um, and then, you know, I put out like fully produced version until I put produce all my stuff um, and stuff like that. And I like really loud guitars and whatever. So uh, some people that find me were like, we don't like the loud guitars, but I'm like, that's okay. I'll still give you the <laughs> acoustic, all that kind of nonsense. Um, so it's been fun. It's been a fun year. Nice, man. You know what, um, what's, uh, what's cool about your music is because, like like you said, like funny songs and stuff, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of funny pieces to it, but it's not like, like it's legit, listenable, you know, fully fledged music. It's not by any means like parody or anything like that. And it kind of, uh, you know, uh, do you know who Aesop Rock is? I do, yeah. So Sam and I are big Aesop rock fans and okay. I feel like your, your music kind of has a similar sort of vibe where it's like very introspective and there's a humor to it, but it's still like, it's like solid, great music to listen to, you know? I don't think we're talking about the same person. You, I, you did not say ASAP Rocky, did you? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, similar. A, I'm familiar with ASAP Rocky and honestly, I would love to be compared to ASAP Rocky, but I don't think that's who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not familiar with ASAP Rocky, although I know who oh, he really? is. Oh, really? He's the baby daddy of Rihanna. 
Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Good some for new him. information for me to pull out later. <laughs> oh yeah, now you know. You learn something new every day. Yeah, we're crossfire references. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Ian, yes, let's talk about how you grew up and your yeah. life's journey. Casey, are you getting him as offline again? Yeah, but he's coming through loud and clear. So, all right, cool, cool. It looks like it's just a weird Zencaster issue. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, tell us where it all started for you, man. What's what area did you grow up in? And like, what was your what's your religious background? Yeah, I uh, was born in just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, lived there for six years and then moved to northern Virginia outside of Washington, D.C. Um, from 2001 nice. to 2013 when I graduated high school. Um, and I grew up Presbyterian, PCUSA, Protestant gang. Um, yeah, it was good, man. I, I loved I, I'm not going to lie. I loved church. It was the best. I felt like I really belonged there. I like, it made me, I, I don't know. I just like, I like, it gave me a sense yeah. of identity of like, you know, I am a Christian. I am, you know, this kind of stuff. And I like, I, I really, I honestly like, I'm pretty glad that I grew up that way. It's just kind of in my adulthood where I'm like, Hmm. All right. So there's like just some habits that were formed, especially around like things that are shameful and sinful and whatever. That's just yeah. like, all right, maybe we don't have to beat ourselves up so much about this. And also just like, you know, talking about the, the, my song important, just the kind of logic of the whole thing. And the kind of like, ah, I see like religion is really cool. It like serves a really important purpose. However, it, to me, it, it appears that, that, you know, it's, it's still just, it's just stories and that's, and that's awesome, you know, but it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah man. I'm preaching to the choir here, so to speak. No, no, you're, it, it's funny because we we talk similarly about our time in church, dude. Like it was, yeah. Like there are plenty of people who had some bad experiences for sure, uh, mm-hmm. and we're you know we've talked to a number of them, but our personal experiences were just like this is fine. Like I felt super like connected to it, so I totally mm-hmm. hear what you're saying. Yeah, I feel that way also. The one place that I never felt really connected was I make. Like I was making music all through, you know, just growing up and everything. And like, I loved like hymns and that kind of, and like, you know, traditional church music and stuff like that. Um, but I could never get into the, like the worship music or like the, the contemporary yeah. Christian kind of scene. Like to me, it just like, I, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why aren't these songs better than they are? Yeah. You know, like they, you got all these resources to make great songs and yet they're not fire. Like, yeah, got me some bangers, you know? like holy 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 is a banger it is what yeah what were some of the ones that really stuck out as oh boring oh i i don't know i just didn't listen anytime i would turn it on okay. it just like, didn't make sense to me um no i i don't mean to, i don't mean to hate on hate on uh the, the genre or the people who make the genre or whatever it's just not for me which makes sense because i'm not the target audience i have not i'm no longer yeah. you know it's it's cool. It's cool, man. It's interesting. I think I it's like, fair to I be disparaging myself. towards it. Maybe, maybe it's just not the energy that I want to put out into the, into the world. If I if I don't have to, you know, if other people are enjoying it and it gives them their life meaning or whatever, I'm pretty sure life doesn't have a meaning, and you have to figure out what you want out of life. And so, if you found something that makes you feel happy, that is fantastic. Because I'm still looking for it. <laughs> I feel like that's similar to how I felt about church music too because i remember 
my church was like very conservative and we always had to have a mix of like traditional hymns, you know, that came out of the big 40 pound hymnal that was tucked into the back of the pew. And then we had choruses, which were like, you know, they'd project them on the overhead up onto the screen and we'd all sing that way. Eventually they started, you know, there was a guitar there and stuff and it wasn't just pianos and organs, but it's, there's some sort of a weird thing going on with like younger people where, um, you know, people who have left the church over time and who find themselves like distanced from the church that we grew up in, you know, just culturally, like you find a lot of younger people that have migrated back to a form of that, but it's usually like in some sort of a more like traditional structured, you know, uh, orthodox version of church. That's more about like, you know, ceremony. And I think that hymns are part of that where it's like, you know, I, I'm not going to church to hear like contemporary sounding songs. Like it's, it doesn't, it's not pushing the right buttons for me, but there's something kind of cool about singing like these old, you know, like ballads from the 1800s with 15 verses and oh, yeah. you know and an organ going on there's something different about it man it's man the the sense of especially like you know in terms of kind of falling away from religion i you lose the ritual of the whole thing of like you know every week starts this way and every wednesday you go to bible study or youth group or whatever and like we sing the same songs and we take the same communion and we pray the same lord's prayer and all this stuff and now i'm like on sunday i'm like i'm gonna wake up I don't know what I'm going to do today, you know, and it's, it's like that weird every day. To, you lose track. It's, it's weird when you get that back. So I actually, I'm, I still go to a church uh, nice. and it is, well, when I'm around, I don't, I it's it. like funny because growing up, it's like you, you base your entire life and weekend around that. It's like, this is a pinnacle of the week. You have to go. Mm-hmm. I found a a space where despite my lack of belief in a lot of things, it's still a comfortable, familiar place with people I like to get together with and, and have these types of conversations. And, and I'm like, when you feel like you don't, when that like guilt of like not going goes away, like, ah, we should probably, I feel bad not going. It's like, you're so conditioned. I mean, Mm -hmm. I went for like third, almost 30 years of my life. And you're just like, and when you, like when you, go a few weekends and you're like, especially during like pandemic, right? That's what mm-hmm. a lot of, I mean, church fell apart for a lot of people during the pandemic. Cause they were like, yeah. they were forced to not go and they were forced to be like, Oh, this is what it's like to have two full weekend days. And then they're like, this is pretty good. I don't know if I want to give this up entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I understand <laughs> that. Yeah. I remember the <laughs> pandemic was when I started kind of, I think I kind of had some things in the back of my mind that I was, you know, practicing my, strong human cognitive dissonance on um but in the pandemic in the pandemic things just like things started unraveling i started like i don't know i i really do you know about the historian yuval noah harari he does his book called sapiens no no it's fantastic i guess the school through, i found him through um the armchair expert podcast with dak shepherd oh, yeah. on it um and he's just like talking about, yeah, I, like my first introduction to him was he was like, yeah, human rights are like made up. 
Like nobody has rights. There's not just like rights. Animals don't have rights. We have to we have to make up the rights. They're not like natural born or whatever. Like we decide as a society that like, hey, we would all be better off if we decide that everybody should have these things or whatever. And I was just like, oh, that's like a crazy thought. And so I like went and listened to the thing and he gives a more compelling argument than I just gave. Um, but I kind of was research like reading all of that it is fascinating just the history of like humanity and how we you know the agricultural revolution and like switching from like having cognition and stuff like that and science and all these things um that uh mixed with honestly lsd lsd (laughs) gave me i was like you know people are like oh my gosh lsd you'll see god i like took lsd and i was like where are you (laughs) um you know did you was that your first time? Had you dabbled with any drugs before you did LSD? That was my that was my second trip, my second and final trip. I haven't taken any since then, so yeah. It, it got like you what you needed the, the second time around. It doesn't seem like yeah. there's very many people that are just like weekend warrior LSD enthusiasts. No, <laughs> no some people, man, shrooms have their um, they have their disciples for sure. Um, I feel like that's becoming more and more popular in the zeitgeist too like mm-hmm. it less taboo in the past five years certainly i think maybe because some of the uh, introductory research has been on been done on psilocybin has been really shown its benefits in a lot of ways so people are now more comfortable talking about it i guess but it's that's always funny i uh you know i i'm a i'm a weed a weed smoker uh, i was like very so against it growing up and stuff like that i found <laughs> that it's just the way that i prefer to relax over instead of uh, alcohol um mostly um and uh you know it's they're not they're not all for everybody and there is like you know there's always that research that comes out like here's the benefits of this here's the benefits of this it's like all right but all of these can still like if you like really get into them it can really screw you up (laughs) like like yeah okay benefit if you do it once and like in moderation and like monitored by somebody who knows what they're doing Right. It's like when people are like, uh, what's a DMT? Everyone, if, if people act like that's in like a rite of passage. It's like, you don't have to do DMT, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's Joe Rogan's big thing. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, it might be. Yeah. yeah psychedelics I, I know are great as long as like Charles Manson's not your shaman, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. I, I really like, I, I really, I try to be careful talking about like, especially like glorifying drugs because like I found yeah. a relationship with them that like, works for me but has been complicated and probably will be complicated again um and like i i trust my own willpower and and desires to take me in an okay place um but i not everybody probably can i might be wrong i like i don't really know what I, what all i'm doing to myself um but i'm having a nice time yeah <laughs> yeah i hear you dude uh it's it is also a, yeah, there's a strangeness that comes to talking about drugs because there are definitely people you're like, maybe don't. And I've, I mean, you everyone knew those burnouts too, like uh, in high school and college. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, you haven't been to class. You just paid $30,000 to sit in your dorm and smoke weed all day. Like, I don't yeah. know if, if that was a, yeah. if that was, but also what's funny is some of those people were like the champions of like this it's just a plant it's just it's nothing wrong with it it's like yeah no kidding but like look at look at your choices (laughs) let's talk about choices yeah man everybody's on their different they're on their different journeys i think we have a short time here and uh we can make with it whatever you want to make with it which is kind of rad but like you know what what do you want to make with it yeah so when you were in 
what ahead, Casey. So like you did LSD. Mm-hmm. What I mean, how I guess is there a way to spell out like how that affected your view of God? Okay, yes. The way that it happened, and this is how I described it to my parents too, um, because I would have kept this probably to myself for longer, except that I had this song that was going to come out that the internet was going to hear <laughs> a lot of times, including my parents. Um, but the way that I had it is I was sitting outside and I was just like thinking, I'm a big space person. I like grew up being super into space and astronomy and all this stuff. Um, and I was thinking about like, all right, based on what we know of like the timeline of the universe. And I had just been like watching Cosmos or whatever I was, or reading, I think I read Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And just thinking about like the timeline of the universe, 14 and a half billion years, like all this stuff. And then I was just like, okay, but if like humans have been around like a couple hundred thousand years, like what was God just doing? Like if God, if God's like, okay, this is like, we're waiting on this species, this one species. And like, they're going to be above all the other ones. Like, what are you doing for all of that other time? And so like, I really came to the point of just like, there might be a God. I have no idea. How the fuck would I know? However, I don't think that us are like that special. You know, like where we're, we happen to evolve in a certain way and became. So I feel like I feel like I kind of have now shift my religion into like, honestly, I probably like religiously believe in like sciencey kind of stuff. You know, I feel like that's kind of becoming more of a thing, especially with the people that I know, too, of just like, oh, yeah, this is how it is, blah, blah, blah. And like, these are like best guesses. I don't even know how we like know a lot of this stuff. And I probably should do more research. My faith is probably blind faith. I'm probably just doing what I've always done. <laughs> but at this right now, that seems to be what makes sense. I think my so there might be would probably classify in. your beliefs as a religion. Yeah, you know, atheism is a religion in and of itself. That's true. Global That's warming's true. a religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it all kind of is, you know. Although it I guess religion, it... religion doesn't have like empirical evidence as much, right? Right. Yeah, I would. I feel like it has to not. Oh, but the ironic thing is that they, you know, it is kind of made out to be as though it does. Uh, That's true. Like evangelicalism, I wouldn't. It's an academic endeavor. I, I think it's mm-hmm. academically deficient in a lot of ways, but it like apologetics and you know the way that they interpret the Bible and the way they try to make that work. It it's a very academic process. I just don't think it's right. Yeah, I, it is an academic process, and it's interesting, especially like as you see like different types of Christianity and like other religions like spreading. He, uh, you know, in in the U.S., it seems. From my layperson's point of view, I don't know the whole things, but like there's a specific brand of Christianity that's like really on the rise in young people. And it's kind of like the Justin Bieber, like, you know, love, like, but like very, very, like, it's like TikTok Christianity. I'm yeah. just like, guys, haven't you seen how good God is today or whatever? And then there's like lots of people who are like, yes, I have. And that makes them all very happy. And that's amazing. Do y'all know the comedian Taylor Tomlinson? Oh yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, we like. You know, have you seen? You've seen the bit about like people coming to God is like people coming to like an ex boyfriend that used to treat you poorly, but now he treats them great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, she's so funny. Um, she is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird that there's a, there's like a line in there somewhere with any belief system where 
you know, you're just a person and you can't know everything. And at some point you have to turn over, you know, you have to trust and like turn over your, your faculties to somebody else who you, who you believe knows more than you about that particular subject, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, the king of spouting off facts that I heard in a YouTube video. Like it's a 30 minute YouTube video about Ukraine. I caught Mm -hmm. like three sentences of it and I can throw them out at the appropriate time, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And like, I don't know what's going on in there, you know, what's going on over there. And I don't really know the extent of like, you know, the, how Soviet history and the, you know, the USSR breaking up and their relation, you you know, I don't know how much that influences what's happening there, but listen to this, listen to that. I trust this person to give me a, a straight answer on these things. And from that, like you kind of, formulate a position on it and i it's almost like you you do that with everything and the the only real sin is just like the arrogance of thinking that it's like the arrogance of projecting more certainty than you actually should and and have you know yes yes (laughs) i feel like man i feel like interesting you, you know you talk about like you know youtube videos from people you trust and stuff like that i feel like one of the biggest changes in myself that I've noticed since leaving Christianity is like, I used to be a very trusting person. And now I really have a hard time trusting people just because like, I feel like all these people that I trusted told me that the world was this way. And then like, I'm looking at the world and it does not fit these rules. Like, I feel like I was given a worldview and then shown a limited world that like the world, the worldview works in this limited world. But like, if you look at the whole thing, like there's a lot of unexplainable kind of things. Um, and I, I, at first I was like very resentful. I'm like, everybody was like malicious. They taught me the wrong thing. Blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, you know what? No. I mean, like somebody taught them the wrong thing or whatever. It doesn't, not even the wrong thing, but just like, you know, they just like, okay, this is what I've come to accept as truth. And I'm going to pass this on to you because that's what we do. That's just like how humans have always done it forever. And like now we happen to be in a situation where for the last 15, 20 years, we can find pretty much any information immediately. And like that sets us apart from everybody else in history. Um, yep. And it, it's it's tough to like, you know, when, cause like, you know, in 1980, if you had questions, like you go to like your pastor and you ask, but like in 2022, if you have questions, you Google it and you find like a billion scholarly essays on the same question. Yeah. The, the idea that, you can't well yeah so going to going to your pastor going to whatever authorities you had in your life and and having your bubble completely shrunk like Mm. like i wonder if i sometimes wonder like if i like if i stayed where i did or whatever didn't have i don't know didn't have an inquiring mind uh like you know i probably would have just done the same thing even if i care because what i think we see and i think uh, at least I, what I've experienced and no cases experienced, you can speak for yourself on this, but it's going through church. We knew countless people who like you would have, there's zero indication that they are like all in on it. They're just like, it's just part of their life. It's something they do. It's part of their vocabulary, certainly, but like, it's not like they're out like trying to witness to their coworkers or mm-hmm. protesting an abortion clinic or like most yeah. of the people are very, very regular and aren't interested in 
it outside of like what it is for them in their immediate context. And they don't yeah. think too much about it outside of that. They're just like, I mean, I'll go to my nine to five job. I'll do my thing. I go to church on Sundays and I talk to my friends and then that's it. So like it, it is, it's, it's like not everyone was trying to process it. And some people just don't care enough to think about whether or not it's true. And I don't, it sounds a little bit like a dig, but I don't mean it to like, you don't have to care about those kind of things. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And from if you come from the worldview of like, you know what, this is all stories. This is, you know, these religions are amazing ways for like large numbers of people to work together on a common thing. Like, then like, why does it matter? Why does it matter if you like, oh, but like there's there's proof against this. There's proof against this. Who cares? Like, but, uh, you know, I guess people start caring once you're like, okay, now because I believe these things, you cannot a- act in this certain way. Right. That actually yeah, has we've no had this- effect on me. Because that, at, at that point, it's like, all right, well, now you're not just like living your life to the fullest. You're like living other people's lives to the not fullest. So, yeah, exactly. You know? You know, what's funny about it, too, is like the ironic thing about all of this is like especially talking about, you know, ritual and and ceremony earlier Mm -hmm. is like the particular brand of Christianity that I think we all three grew up in really diminished the value and poo pooed the idea of like ceremony and ritual and stuff like that. Like that was definitely a that was what we mocked about Catholics, right? It's like you go to mass and you stand up and you sit down and it's the same thing every week and blah, 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 blah. And like Christianity and real, you know, real faith is about a relationship with God and it's got to be personal. And there's, you know, you have to be personally engaging with it at every stage of the process, you know, Mm. and looking at it from the outside, especially like having the experience that we do with it, where you slowly like fall out of love with the whole thing in some ways. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. there's part of you that looks at the guy who just goes and shakes mm-hmm. hands and enjoys his time there and goes home and then, you know, just raises his family. It's just, it's part of his community group and, and it's a ritual for him in and of itself. Like that's almost best case scenario for most people. I right? envy, I envy that because I was so happy. I was so comfortable. I never had to think about hard <laughs> questions. Yep. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, this is freaking me out. Turn to God. Cool. Now it's not freaking me out anymore. Done. Now I'm like, it's freaking me out. Turn to what? Hank Green? Like, <laughs> like I was like, Hank, am I supposed to be scared about this? And usually he's like, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Andrew, you know, take, what fun. should I think about this? Right. Well, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. We've all got our, our influencers, I suppose. And that's the, the irony of like, other fears coming up or thoughts or concerns that you don't feel like you have anywhere to direct them to, but also wasn't all, all sunshine and rainbows either. When I think of the amount of times I was worried about getting demon possessed or you're right, the, you're right. the rapture happening or something like that too. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Worrying about, I spent a lot of time. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Continue. You're good. No, go ahead. Uh, the, uh, I spent a lot of time worrying about my Jewish friends. Because, like, I had a lot of Jewish friends, and I also grew up in a very diverse area. Like, a lot of my friends, especially in high school, were Indian, and they were either Hindu or Muslim. And I was just like, (gasps) like, 
yeah. these great people like they're gonna suffer eternal damnation like but also like they're such lovely people and i don't want to change them because i like the way that we interact and the fact that we're different and all this stuff however i'm being told that i have to witness to these people but i don't know how to do that and like now it's taxing my relationship with them because i'm like afraid for them and i'm like trying to show them that i love them but like if i do this they're gonna be really fucking annoyed so yeah. i'm gonna just be quiet i guess you know show love by my actions and they'll be like why and, is and he let so them good go to hell. Oh, it's a <laughs> and it's like no it's usually not people's first thought it's like why is he good he's just a nice guy i don't know he happens to be I know. a christian because you were affected by those people's love kindness endearing qualities and you were never like i should reconsider i should reconsider my faith it's always right, like exactly. you well, yeah. are the one who needs to do the reconsidering it's here. sad that right. they're so wrong <laughs> It's, I know, I know, because otherwise they got so much going for them. <laughs> what, air, uh, what area was that? You said Virginia? Yeah, Northern Virginia. Uh, I went to, I grew up in a town called Reston, but I went to high school in Alexandria, which is just outside. Okay. It's where the Pentagon is, I think, or maybe it's in Arlington. I don't know. I was near the Pentagon-ish. Dang, okay. were you there in 2001? I certainly was. I was at, I was at, wild. I think the second day of first grade. Oh boy. Yeah. And we had just moved to DC also from Atlanta. Like it was my second day of school in Virginia and nine 11 happened. That's crazy. What That's was heavy. it? Okay. And it's a first, like, what's your relate? Cause so we're a little bit older than, okay. um, what is I'm, I'm 34. Okay. So I was like, I guess I was in eighth. I think I was in eighth grade. I see. So you I have think, like a uh, fully formed memory of this. Yeah, yeah. What was, so do you have what's your being in that area and so close to it? I, I'm sure it affected the environment and the zeitgeist a bit. But what so how how did you rec like I'm curious as to how like you recollect that? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing that I remember was that in my lunchbox, I had had these this like my lunchbox came with this like pre-shaped thing for Pringles that you could put like a certain amount of Pringles in. You could eat it for lunch. And 9/11 oh, yeah. happened in the morning. Those fuckers stopped me from eating my cool Pringles out of my cool can <laughs> because they smashed into buildings. So that's what I remember first. And then I remember going home and like, I wasn't old enough to like feel bad about having this thought because I was six. Yeah. Um, so I went home and I just remember my mom was like, real, my mom was really scared because my dad was, I think, still in Atlanta working because uh, he had not like moved up fully yet or maybe he had or he was on a trip or something and so my mom was there and it was me and my two-year-old sister and my mom in this like temporary apartment that we had just moved to this new town we like didn't really know anyone and 9-11 is going on down the street um and so we it was a I should I mean I really should talk to my mom about that mom if you're listening to this remind me to talk to you about what it was like at 9-11 <laughs> for you um but that's how I remember it. I don't I don't remember seeing any footage until later. Like there's so many museums in in Washington DC, especially there was there used to be one called the Newseum that was like the museum of print media and then like television and all this stuff and there's like a big thing on 9/11 there. Uh, I think the museum is gone now, but I feel like most of my memories are like reconstructed from that museum. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I hope you get to show off your cool Pringles can to some of your friends soon. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Osama bin Laden really ruined that one for me. <laughs> well, he got what he deserved, so didn't he? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. Freaking crab food now. <laughs> I guess so. Did you, they, uh, they never showed the body. 
were you a public school kid or did you go to Christian school? I went to Christian school the first and second grade. Um, but then we, I was in Fairfax County, which was just a, it's a pretty solid public school district up in Virginia. Um, and so I went to a public school, did like the kind of, it was called the GT program at the time, the gifted and talented program, which now I'm sure they call it something less exclusive. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's gotta make other people feel terrible. I mean, come on guys. Um, you have yeah, no gifts, you have no talents. Right, exactly. I know. Yeah, you're, you're gifted but not here. talented. Or you're talented but not gifted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta be both. Don't fuck you around. Be both. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went to public school through that. But then I went to a private um not Christian college, but a private college, Furman University in South Carolina. So okay. back to the private vibes at the end. See, of, we're yeah. we're Liberty University fellas. Oh, I know Liberty yeah. well. I know Liberty well. Yeah. Is that how, is that where y'all met? Yep. It is. Yep. Okay. We were, we, I would say it was God's providence that we got placed in the same dorm room. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure that I could find out by listening to other episodes of your show, but like, how did y'all come to start this podcast? Cause clearly y'all must've had a similar experience at some point. Did y'all have that experience at the same time of starting to kind of fall away? Uh, we actually kind of lost touch for a bit after we left college, like other than being friends on Facebook and shit, it wasn't until like seven or probably, I don't know. It was like seven years ago, uh, that his work brought him to my area and he was just like, Hey, are you still around? And I was like, yeah. And then him and I, and a couple other people who I was still friends with that lived with, like also went to Liberty, Mm -hmm. uh, but were from my area. Um, we all just like hung out and we stayed in touch after that. And that's when we kind of realized where things had shifted and the directions that we've gone in. So we talked about this stuff a lot more. And then eventually we're like, we should just talk to other people about this and record it. And that's mm-hmm. where this came from. Cause these that's conversations cool. are still fun. It's weird, man. Cause like, I mean, you're obviously still talking about it a bit too. Like it, it's never going away. Like it's impact on your upbringing and who you are as a person is permanent. Uh, and there's good, there's bad, there's just all sorts of stuff mixed in with that. Um, and it's up to us to parse it out and do it what we want. But I think especially like the more you learn from other people and the more you meet people, seeing how they ended up where they did is so fun because it like you could literally run into a stranger and find out you both grew up evangelical and then you could just hang out for the entire night. Right. Which is kind of the same thing that running into somebody and both being evangelical does. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. They're like, oh, you're an, oh, and you, you can be my plumber now because totally, you are totally. evangelical. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, that's you fascinating. Get Jesus that's fascinating. Fish in your truck. I feel the, uh, like a lot of, probably not all, but a lot of the folks that I know who went to Liberty now, I, I think had similar experiences to y'all it, like afterwards. Um, so that's just, that's an interesting, it's interesting. We should all find each other and then just like, so that we, they can keep track of how many souls they've lost. Like, <laughs> let them know. They need a record yeah. of like the, how many defected, how many just went on to not really care. They're just like Man, nominal. Cause that's also scary. They don't, yeah. they were raising champions for Christ, not nominal fucking Christians. So we need to right. probably let them, we got to set the record straight for them on where all their people ended up. Yeah, man, they find a good. They they seem to do a good job of staying in the news. Liberty. Yeah, they do. I, know. Just, I, I hear about them at least once a year for some large yeah. story. I hear about them every year. Well, now the Jerry Junior documentary 
docu-series is, I can't tell if it's like um, uh, dramatized or not, but there's a, do- yeah. there's a, a Hulu documentary coming out about Jerry Jr. in the whole pool boy situation. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to watch it. Response. I don't want, I, I don't really care to know, you know, it's everybody like go do your thing. Y'all might be interested. You're a little closer than I am, but maybe you don't want to know. Like, like, oh, doesn't really like that effect. poison, baby. <laughs> yeah. I honestly might not watch it because I, not for any reason other than I, I don't always end up watching a ton of things. But also, I'm like, I just I paid attention to the story the whole time it was happening, and I read yeah. everything there was to read on it. And you're just like, do I? I don't know if I need this. Right. I, if it's a dramatization, I'm just gonna be like, I don't. I don't think I. I personally don't feel like i need that but yeah. i'm mostly because i i think i'll just be like this is so i think it's just it'll be frustrating to like watch as like a series for entertainment value yeah no kidding I, there's and also there's just so much content out there and so little time here on this earth like what i know, you know when am i gonna fit do in I want to watch the jerry jr docuseries <laughs> do i want to spend seven to ten of my precious hours <laughs> doing With this the- when i could be watching the new Game of Thrones show or whatever. I haven't seen the new Game of Thrones show yet. But or spending like sporadic seven minute sessions on TikTok ten times a day, you know? Correct. Correct. <laughs> or, you know, having a lovely conversation with a loved one. Yeah. Uh, loved one. Fresh out of this. Yeah. <laughs> with the so youth group, praise band. You got you had to youth be group. in the praise band. I was in the praise band, although we our praise band never got off the ground. I mean, like we tried to have a praise band for years and just like it was very like, okay, who plays what? We have one guy that plays the drums, Ian plays the bass, but nobody plays the guitar, so Ian will play the guitar, but then now nobody's playing a bass and somehow there's a saxophone and that's like it's just like drum, guitar, and saxophone. And like we're gonna play Viva La Vida because it has some Christian words in it. That was that was our <laughs> we never played for anything. We just kind of goofed around in the side room. Um, so you were only missing the recorder. Yes. Well, in youth group, when I was I was in youth group, I guess it would have been seventh grade to twelfth grade. And in that time, I had either four or five different youth directors, and they would sh- they would shift their on their conservative how conservative versus how like progressive they were very fast. You know, like my first year, it was like very progressive and then the second year it was like extremely progressive and then the third year it was it was by our standards we were pcusa so pretty you know pretty progressive or whatever but very conservative you know and it was just like whoa okay all right well this is not what i thought that things were but i guess this is how it is because i trust this person and then we got a new person you're like okay hold on that was weird who who am i listening to here um like can you think of an example Oh yeah, dude. I, dude, this was like, this is my biggest thing. My biggest resentment about Christianity was this one fucking day at youth <laughs> with the particularly conservative one. He separated all the guys and girls and just, and like, well, that like was the only time we had like really talked about like, you know, it is a, it is a sin to masturbate. You can't like masturbate, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I would have been 17 nice. when we had this. Which meant like, that, like, I was like, oh, boy. I know I have been <laughs> masturbating like multiple times a day since I was like 13, you yeah. know, or whatever. And then, and so I stopped. I like fully stopped for 18 months. That like went Holy into college. Shit. I know, honestly, now I'm and like, how did I have the self control? Now I like, 
can't walk past the kitchen without like getting a little handful of nuts. Um, (laughs) that I used to have. Um, and I feel like a lot of that led to like now I'm 27 and I feel like I'm like this rebellious teen because when I was a teenager, I was like following the rules very well or whatever. And now I'm like, I just want some time where I don't follow the rules, but that was the big one. Did you have like a growth spurt or anything during that time? Because I feel like your body at that age is diverting so much energy into regrowing penis skin. <laughs> uh, man, I, I was definitely angrier during that time. Like, yeah. just like I was just more stressed, you know? And that was no like, nut rage. that was all around the time of like applying to college and stuff like that. And I went to this science and tech high school and they took it really seriously like applying to college like every essay must be like pulitzer prize winning whatever kind of things and i was just like oh, oh my god i had to do all this stuff or whatever so i ended up just like diverting all that like extra energy into like extra study i'm gonna study more i'm gonna get all the perfect grades on everything and blah 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 um so you know Poured what probably did great things malice into your studies into my studies and my college <laughs> applications and like I and like that persisted the whole my whole freshman year of college, and I was such like a diligent student. I was so solid at like I'm gonna do all my work like as soon as I get it, so that I can like at night I can have a good time, but I can still go to bed at ten o'clock and I can wake up ready to study the next day for the whole year. And like by senior year, wow. I was like, I got to bed at three like six of the seven nights this week, and none of them were for good reasons. It was just because <laughs> I was hanging out, like. <laughs> Whatever. Is it uh, is it overly intrusive to ask about the day you ended that fast? <laughs> no, it's not. I can tell you about it. Um, <laughs> I can tell you about it. I okay. So man, we're gonna we're just gonna go for it because you know what? Yeah, Life we get into it here, tell, man. We can tell all the stories. Um, so a big side effect of if you are you know a horny teenage boy and you've been masturbating for a long time and you stop is that if you like rub against anybody you know if you're like making out with somebody things will occur um that often are not um you know pleasant and sometimes are easier to hide from the other party than other times the starch um, your old dungarees <laughs> starch your dungarees exactly um and i remember it was like the summer after my freshman year and i was back home i was working like a server job or something like that. Um, And I like had just broken up, maybe broken up with like the girl that I had been seeing in college, but we like didn't really know each other. Neither of us actually really talked to each other about anything and all these things. And I was like, you know, this just feels unsustainable. Like I just can't keep being like, no, forever. Like I have to find something else or like do this. But I feel like if I just do this, like am I hurting anybody? It doesn't seem so. Maybe I'll feel guilty about this, but like, I feel like I felt at the time, like, you know what? I've put in my time. I've put in my hours. I think I'm forgiven for the rest of all time because this was an amazing, (laughs) amazing feat, you know, Um, that I have gone this long. And so then, yeah, kind of started like easing, easing back into it. Started sleeping on your stomach a little bit more, you know? (laughs) I I don't actually fully understand that. I have to like think about that that's not that's not been my experience in self love but i understand what you mean. <laughs> you know just it just build up friction you're like we'll start here we're starting slow yeah yeah man it was interesting times it was interesting times i think about so much like you know being being a christian and growing up in the church and just like 
they were like fundamentally different like brain pathways i feel like at the time you know it's just yeah. like if okay, your this- mom's listening to this do you want her to remind you of this conversation too when you talk about 9-11 <laughs> hey maybe maybe it was because god knew i would break the fast you know, 12 years later, and that's why 9 11. He pre punished America for your <laughs> <Pre-punished America. laughs> time is a flat um, circle. And God was punished to this. You know what? You know what? Humans are humans. We do what humans do. And uh, I don't think that I'm above any other humans. So, hey, let's, we can talk about it if you like. <laughs> what well, about did you, uh, did you go to Christian summer camp? Oh, I did pretty early on. I don't think I went to Christian summer camp after like third or fourth grade. Oh, um, gotcha. Okay. So like, you know, just some of the camp songs and whatever. But a lot of my summers were playing music. I like, you know, I, I played cello um, for a long time and I would like either play in orchestras oh, cool. or do something like that. Or I was like playing in bands. I like had a cover bands and we would... Pretend that we weren't a cover band by writing our own songs, but our songs were mostly just rewritten lyrics to songs that already existed. So <laughs> it was still pretty much a cover band. Um, yeah, no, not so much. Not so much on the camp. Did y'all do a lot of camp? That's Casey's favorite I topic. Did. Yeah, summer camp. Okay. Christian summer camp is so weird that I always yeah, have to you can ask. come back from that and like really have been changed. I, yeah. I remember yeah. seeing that. You either lost your virginity or were like witnessing to your friends. That's why. Totally. totally. (laughs) Yeah. It's fascinating. Really? Like it's a great institution. It's like a great, you know, you're around people, you're having fun. And like, you know, I I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but like, wow, you know, just a constant stream of indoctrination, just like, isn't this beautiful? It's because of God. Isn't this wonderful? You're having fun. It's God. It's Jesus. Jesus loves you. We sing these Jesus songs. We love these songs. We love each other. We love Jesus. Jesus loves you. And you come back and you're like, Jesus loves me. They love you. Jesus loves everybody. I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, that was really sad. And you're going to hell. But like, usually it wasn't <laughs> that. Like, I feel like at least my experience with Christian camp at all was never like, do good or you're going to hell. Like, honestly, my experience with Christianity in general wasn't do good or you're going to hell. It was just like, I don't even know. Because I still definitely had a lot of like shame, so much shame around just like, you know, even what I like found funny. Like now I do a lot of comedy kind of stuff and just like, I mm-hmm. think that this is really funny, but I'm being told that this is like against Christianity and like bad for Christ and all these things. And like, but like, it, I thought it was a really good point. Like, you know, I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, it's all complicated, isn't it? Oh yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah. have you gotten into, you mentioned doing like comedy. Have you gotten into doing stand up at all? Have you given that a shot? My live shows are kind of a mix of stand up and, um, music performance. I kind of okay. I I take a certain number of songs. I put them in a, a given order, and then I find stand up bits to connect them in an arc. And that's kind of how I do my shows, which is super fun. I love making it that way. Um, and I just get to. I feel like I get to like goof off in addition to making the music, and I get to kind of yeah. engage and have the conversation rather than just like I'm performing in front of you, kind of vibes. So yeah, yeah. a little bit. What what was like your uh, your musical? interests during like high school and junior high and stuff did you have like a did you listen to christian music or was it always just a mix of things you have like a angry scene kid stage oh yeah oh yeah avenge sevenfold was like my big i love them man for like a whole year and a half they were my favorite band and then i just never listened to them again 
One Did day, you change your look at all during that time? Were you no, like, I gotta I change my look? No, bit? I okay. was still just a little nerdy kid looking like that. But in my headphones, they were screaming. Um, so that was good. Yeah, Event Sevenfold, and then like, yeah, Breaking Benjamin, Three Days Grace. I guess Three Days Grace is Christian, maybe. Um, but like, I don't even know. Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't. I was not. They're seeking, tricking us with the name. Right. I was not seeking Christian music. Um, and then I kind of got into top 40 there for a little bit. I just kind of come and go with top 40 all the time. Uh, sometimes I love yeah. it. Sometimes I just forget about that it exists. Um, and then towards the end, I got really into Eminem. And that was like, okay, there's like a whole realm of hip hop that's available to me. Because like once you go through Eminem, you're like, this is good. What else is out there? And you like see all the hip, the actual hip hop that's existed forever. Not forever, but yeah. So then it was that. And once you start listening to Eminem without feeling bad about it is when you can, is when you really start to change. True, You're like, true. I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad about this anymore. That's great. I've dude. I remember listening to Eminem, like when I, when I was, when like, it was like the real slim shady and shit like that all came out and thinking it was the funniest fucking thing ever. I never wanted my parents to find out. It's like, Oh my, I can't know. I go to my friend's house and listen to this song. And we would just mm-hmm. like, play like the same like three to five songs not all not all eminem but they're just like uh like bad touch by the bloodhound gang oh, just like yeah. the ones that like your parents wouldn't want you to hear and we i feel like we at least with that eminem was just legit but like i feel like there was a lot of them where you just pretended like you liked it because it was like because it made you laugh and it was like edgy for you but really you're just like this like i never thought the bad touch was a good song but you oh, would I have thought I really believe I think about that song actually so frequently. Um, really? How, <laughs> how impressive it is that they took the, that like that that became style. such a cultural phenomenon. It did. You know? Like it's it's impressive. And it's it's also interesting because it was like one step further than Blink 182 was willing to take things. Yeah. It was just like Blink 182 was like, we're silly, but we're sad and we're angry. And Bloodhound Game was like, we're silly. And also we don't know how we feel. Here's just some silly shit. Um, but I, yeah, man, I love the Bloodhound Gang. I think about them often, and some of the things that I do, um, just like, like, oh my gosh, can I say that? And I'm like, what has the Bloodhound Gang said? They've said way worse. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, kind of things. But yeah, I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. Uh, Scotty doesn't know was another one for for me. Do you know that Scotty song? Scotty doesn't know. I don't. Oh yeah, well, you have to check that one out. Scotty doesn't know. It was from that movie Euro Trip. Um, okay. And it's just very like. You'll have to listen to it. The, the, I, I didn't want anyone knowing that I was listening to it. That kind of means it's probably worth listening to. Yeah, that's a good song. Unless, maybe I miss a cultural moment, but mm-hmm. there was, uh, you know, a lot of things were like products of the time, like Limp Bizkit. Totally. You know? totally. Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I miss the Limp Bizkit train. I, I really haven't been exposed to them much at all. Yeah, you well, okay. might be a, just like a, <laughs> they're too young for new metal. Yeah. That was yeah. more. Although uh, I did love, I loved Linkin Park. So I caught oh, the tail yeah. end of the rap rock thing. They, they spanned, they, because, dude, they spanned like, uh, they spanned a much broader imagine. time because it was just, it, it wasn't gimmicky. Like, shit like, um, what, I just said that Limp Biscuit or like, it was like, that was kind of gimmicky. Like, there was yeah, aspects of it that just were, it, it, like, yeah. it had its time, but definitely Linkin Park lasted uh, much longer. And, yeah. It wasn't until like later on that people wanted to start like being like make fun of them, I feel like. I feel like no one made fun of them and then all of a sudden everyone made fun of them and they made Chester kill himself. So you're welcome, everybody. You did that. 
You made fun of Chester. Sad. It's like one of my, like one of those things that uh, I just, I think I'll always regret is not going to see them before he passed away. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I love Lincoln park. I like their yeah. whole discography all the way through. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. I had a long Lincoln park, but it was just, it was just hybrid theory and Meteora that I would just listen to over and over and over. And I was like eighth grade going into ninth grade. And it was that whole summer just like, you know, faint and in the end and like these like loud, like I'm so angry, but it's like really good lyrics and the sound is amazing. It's so like experimental and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, but you know, so, you, you also listen to the lyrics now and you're like, you know, there were, I know, I mean, he's telling you, he's telling you how he feels the whole time. And that's so strange when you, yeah. then you, th- because so, so much of music is emotive, right? Yeah. I mean, you've, I feel like I've listened to so many like you just listen to so many especially like emo music and stuff you know uh it was like so sad and like like your life was over because you asked somebody out and they didn't want to go out with you but i think that's why people made fun of emo music it was a little more like that's what oh that's what you're up that's what you're upset about interesting um but what got so what got you into music in in pursuing a career in music like when did that shift happen and okay I was always into music. My parents met in music school. My dad was singing in the opera and my mom was playing the piano for the opera. Um, and my mom was a piano teacher. And so she started teaching me piano when I was really young. Um, and then I picked up cello when I was nine and I picked up some pop instruments like, you know, guitar, bass, whatever in my teens. And I just like loved writing music and making music. But I also was for a long time, like people were like, oh my gosh, you're, you have such passion. Like you love this so much. And I'm like, do I? I feel like you're telling me. I'm being told that like I have this great passion. And I'm like, I mean, I like it, but like, do I like it as much as I like reading a book or playing video games or playing baseball or whatever? I have no idea. Um, but once I figured out, like, I, 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 I started attempting to make music professionally in college. I had a stage name, Mac Russell. May he rest in peace. Um, he did not make very good music, but he tried really hard. Was, and I appreciate it. <laughs> what was the inspiration for that name? I mean, uh, Russell is my middle name and Matt comes from McConnell, which is my McConnell, last name. Okay. And I had in my head that like Ian McConnell would never make cool music. Like that's a lame name for like cool. You're going to be so cool. Um, and and you did know, you ever I, get a Mac Russell tattoo? No, I don't have any tattoos. Maybe I should, you know, I, it's important to remember where you came from. Yeah. So, I think yeah. it should definitely go over your stomach is my first thought, but the, also the curve right shoulder is fine too. Yeah. yeah. So like as you and get I, old and everything nice. starts to fall downward, you know, it's kind of accentuates it. Yeah, that'd be it's nice. Like, that'd be nice. That's like male cleavage. I suppose so. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, music. I uh <laughs> I studied music in college, but it was classical music, um, playing cello there. Um and was just like making my own music on the side. And I always loved doing that. And one summer I couldn't find a job. So I just came to Nashville for the summer to see what it was like. And I started writing with a bunch of people. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a whole community of people who just write music together. I love this community. So I'm going to write country music. That's what I'm going to do. Cause that's what we do in Nashville. Um, and I did that for like three years until I realized that I wasn't, I like could not force myself to be authentically country being from Northern Virginia, outside Washington, D.C., and having no farm experience and all this stuff. And did also, your clothing and style change then? Did, did my what? Did anything change? 
Did your clothing or style change then? Avenged Sevenfold didn't do it for you, but did you start buying boots? Yeah, and wearing cowboy hats and some and a Stetson. I do have one pair of cowboy boots that I wore briefly in a phase at the beginning of 2018, uh, <laughs> but I didn't stick with it. Honestly, like my style, I didn't really understand like style or like what to wear other than like, like my, I had, I had a couple of friends that were just like, you would look good in this. And I'm like, okay, this is what I look like now. Um, and that's all I, I like, would need. I didn't have. Someone's like, I, you would look good in that. Like, oh, oh, perfect. Something I can graft into my identity and feel good about myself. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I didn't realize until really this year that like, oh, like your appearance is part of like your expression and all this stuff, which seems like such an obvious thing. But to me, it was not. To me, it was just like, I got to wear something and I don't want to look stupid. So my style <laughs> really didn't change a whole lot. I mean, these days it's gotten a little more eccentric because I'm becoming a diva now. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I moved here, made country music for a while, decided to make less country music and then started writing mostly for myself and then producing my music. And now all this community that I moved to Nashville for, I work by myself most of the time. So I don't know what the near future is going to hold. I think I need to get back into the community a little bit more. Um, but it's been an interesting season. I mean, that's so fucking rad, dude, to be able to like uh, Nashville. I mean, that's where people want to go. That's where a lot of you hear about a lot of people going, but that also increases the competition significantly. So to be able to like push into that uh, and be able to sustain yourself on it is uh, that's really fucking crazy to me, man. Yeah, in terms of like competition, like it it is, you know, probably easier to stand out as a musician in uh, I don't even know. Wichita. Now I don't even know. Minneapolis like has a great music scene, so how would I know? Um, but like in terms of like if you want to like reach like nationwide kind of things, Nashville's like a solid hub. There's lots of like mm -hmm. professionals here who can teach you because like I came here and didn't know shit. I thought I knew everything and I didn't know anything. And I just learned how to like craft songs and make you know, sing, things sound good by just like being around other people who knew how to do that. Um, and like, that's what I feel like you don't get in a lot of, in, in most other places, unless you're in LA, New York, Atlanta, Nashville, London, Toronto, maybe. And is that where you figured, like learned how to do your own production just from being around people who did music production? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, YouTube was very helpful. My roommate um, is a producer and he helped me out a lot. Um, and then like, you know, just other producers that I knew, I'm like, okay, I don't know why this sounds like this. What do you, do you know? And they were like, oh yeah, you could like turn up. There's this thing called compression and there's equalizers and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. I got to learn how to use these. And then, you know, kind of built up. I just recently went back and like relearned all the production stuff. And I was like, cool. I have been doing this the hard way for a long time. I feel like I could have just taught myself this in about eight hours and I would have saved myself probably a hundred hours of time per year, but so it goes, it's all good. How do people react out there to, well, cause like, obviously like you, you have a pretty big social media following. Yes. And what's, what's the general feeling out there on that? Because there's, oh, I mean, artists are launching their careers off of TikTok and, mm -hmm. and things like that. And it is kind of a departure from the, the old way of doing things, you know, what, what's the feeling out there? Is there, are people embracing that? Is there a resentment there from some people or what, you know, what do you see? Oh man, it's all of the above. It's all of the above. It's hard. Like new technologies in older industries is just, it's tough. 
Like there's going to be people that get left behind. There are going to be new people that wouldn't have had a chance in the old system who are going to get big shots. You know, like I feel like, I mean, Lil Nas X is like the prime example of like, you know, he they weren't taking him seriously. He was like trying to like make this country kind of thing. And then he just put it on TikTok and it blew up. And now he's a new star. Um, but I think I mean, he would have found a way anyway. But still, like there's a lot of resentment around like, oh, like we artists like it used it used to be we could just like, you know, go and write the whole album and then the label would put it out and we'd go on tour and then we'd come back and we'd write the next album and blah, blah, blah. Um, but now, like, we're expected to, like, put, show our face to the world every single day. And it's like, okay, yes, that is that is true. Uh, but the barriers to entry are a lot lower, you know? Like, in order to live that life, you had to be signed by a label. And, like, not not everybody gets signed. Most people don't, you know? And now yeah. mo- most people don't pop off on social media either. Um, but, like, there's always – it becomes simpler for – like, my – I have a pretty – I have an extremely low budget because I produce my own stuff um, and I can just kind of release things as they go. All of my budget mostly gets spent on videos. Um, and like, I can just put things out and you never know. Like, uh, like those, those big social media numbers are a product of this year. When I started this year, it was like less than a 10th of what it is now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. It's crazy how fast that kicks off. Is it, it um, so was that mostly through TikTok or because your Instagram followings, really large too it's solid it's solid uh it mm, it's a mix of the two it, it uh, yeah. honestly both both were great this year and feed it was into each other a little bit putting on well you know releasing this most recent project in the age of reels was really helpful like reels is just another way and like the audiences on tiktok and instagram are a little bit different and so some things will like really do well on instagram and some things will really do well on tiktok and some things will do well on both some things will flop on both and if they flop on both it's never like a well it's because i posted it at the wrong time it's like if it flopped on both nobody wants to see it that's just (laughs) well you just took away my excuses thank you because we're uh, we're (laughs) flop on both kind of people well you know it it happens and like it's something that like i don't know this sounds like "Mm, i have been here before but like the um it's it takes a long time to like figure out what the lane, what your lane is, like how to be engaging from the start of a video to the end of a video. If you want people to watch the whole thing, like how to set yourself apart. Because like if you're like trying to imitate somebody else and somebody else pops up who does it better, like there, that's where the huge amount of competition is. But if you can carve out a lane, then yeah. you can just inhabit the lane on your own. And like it doesn't really matter as long as you are the only person in this lane. Um, so yeah. it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of people, you know, I've had a lot of conversations of like, okay, you do well on TikTok. Like, how can I do well on TikTok? I'm like, I don't know, try some stuff. But like, you know, there is definitely, there's still the field of, and maybe I, I don't know everything also. I only know it works for me. There's still the field of like, okay, we only post at like 7.45 PM and that's how it works. And like for me, for, for some reason, it feels like things do better if I post them in the morning, but I don't really know. It just like I've gotten into that habit and things have done well at that time. So I keep doing it. Dude, it's so one of the things I hate about on TikTok is when people post like other people's videos. Like it's like mm-hmm. like comedy does that. Like I follow mostly comedy shit on TikTok mm-hmm. and it's like you'll be you'll scroll through it and it's like here's a Tom Segura video. and It's got 750 likes and it's posted by just someone who recorded Tom Segura and uploaded it on TikTok. It's like mm-hmm. that's that is 
it just feels like a grab, like trying to grab like likes or following or something like that, just because you're using other people's content. Where I like when I come be. across people's original content on TikTok when it holds up or when I appreciate it. Yeah, I I do too. It's gonna be a lot. It's a lot harder. There's also an interesting thing of like in Nashville, especially. Well, probably probably in everywhere that like influencer ring is a thing, but like the kind of like posting things in order to make that video do well as opposed to posting things that are going to make people want to continue to see what you're going to post like if somebody posts that tom segura thing like that that user is unlikely to gain to gain a following because they're not offering Mm -hmm. anything of note they just like happen to have a video that is good because it's tom segura and it's going to make people go, oh, yeah, I do love Tom Segura. I saw he had a new thing. I'm going to do it. Like, I feel like that's free advertising for Tom Segura. Good for him. Sure. Um, but, like, yeah, I feel I feel that, too. And there's also times I feel like I've just gotten a lot mellower in my in the last two years um, around social media and stuff. Because that used to make me angry, too. Of like, that's not – they don't even own that. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just a, but, like, also, like, it's just kind of a wild west out there. Everybody's trying to do it their is. thing in order to, like, feel valid in their – life and what well, do i know my fear of rejection is what keeps me from posting anything so you're what now my fear of rejection is what keeps me from posting Yo, anything that is huge <laughs> fear of rejection is is crazy and like getting there's a lot of like you know oh oh my gosh everybody's depressed now everybody's rejected all the time because we post something <laughs> on the internet and like and it's not like i'm gonna go like play my song at the open mic down the street in greenville south carolina and like people are gonna be like that was so good i'm like gonna play this thing and it has to contend with ariana grande's videos so like you know (laughs) if if you're just starting out you can't expect to just be like i naturally have videos that are more entertaining than ariana grande or whoever (laughs) it is you know the world owes me this exactly it's wild <laughs> it's it's very funny it's a funny age in in history i think to be in the like we're like at the beginning of social media i really think because i think social media is i mean it's how i stay connected with everybody and like 15 years ago like i had a facebook you know and like i i was just starting to be connected to people and it's it's amazing what all is done and it's done a lot of bad stuff and it's done a lot of good stuff and i don't know it's just a big old adjustment period i'm sure Oh yeah, it feels that way. So okay, so you got like it's easy when you when you think about like oh who's who do you like as a you know whose songs do you like and who whose music and stuff like that like who do you now that you're like I mean you're a musician you're a songwriter you're a content creator and stuff who do you like look up to as an artist right now where you look at what they do the scope of what they do and you're like that's that's awesome man there's a lot there's a lot right now i like i feel like it's it's i always have it's so funny when people are like oh there's just like not any like great music right now because i'm like i feel like we have the coolest artists right now that we've had like at least we've probably had like singular cooler artists like i don't feel like we have like a prince right now but we do have ed sheeran justin bieber the weekend doja cat Lil Nas X, Drake, like all of these like humongous artists who like all inhabit these very different lanes and they do them to an extremely high level. And, you know, we like all of those artists do it differently too. Like The Weeknd is like very visual and Ed Sheeran's just like, the moms are going to love this. And Olivia Rodrigo <laughs> is like, the kids are going to love this. The kids, the kids who had to grow up too fast are going to love this, you know? And it's just like, it's such a nice time of everybody 
Like these pop stars can specifically through TikTok and Instagram cater to exactly their target audience. Billie Eilish, I think, is like the probably who I look up to the most, just like consistently taking risks. Like, okay, you made this hit, you made this hit EP, come back with a record that's like totally different and also a hit. And then follow that with another completely different record that's also a hit. I mean, it's just like it's it's so cool. I love how many risks are being taken in the age of like I feel like we're a little bit in the fuck the label age of like, you could do it yourself. Like the labels do mm-hmm. a lot of things and they have a lot of, they can do a lot of things that independent artists can't. But also if you just want to try something crazy, you can try it and like see what happens for Billie Eilish. It totally worked out. Lil Nas X yeah, totally I mean, worked out. Much smaller scale, but uh, there's a pop punk band called action adventure. And mm. apparently their breakout was they had zero. They just barely had any traction forever. Just, would do the whole tour grind didn't really mm-hmm. we're just getting bummed that they weren't and then they put their they made a music video themselves they put it on tiktok and it the next morning they woke up and it was just like boom and then that got them like thrown onto some pretty nice tours they just did like a thing with newfound glory oh, on yeah. their like 20th anniversary tour for sticks and stones uh over the summer and like they hopped on a few of those shows and it was just like damn like TikTok did it. And it's just like, I mean, it's hard because you want to give people the advice like this could happen for anyone. It's like mm-hmm. it can happen for anyone. But if you also live your life under the expectation that it's going to happen because it can it, like that kind of cycles that whole like feeling bummed out thing, too, I guess. But I don't know. You got to like weigh it. You got to weigh like those emotions with the possibilities of this. Just like it's like it has to be good. It has to connect and it has to just be the right time. There's so many mm-hmm. things that can mix together. But it's like there are there's more area like what I'm hearing. Basically, what I'm hearing you say though is there's more areas to shoot your shot. You can totally. put it anywhere you want, and it might it, it might fail on TikTok and then blow up on Instagram, and who knows yeah. the fuck why. But and the it, tough thing is, as a creator, it's really hard to recognize that like nobody remembers your flops. Nobody, because like oh my gosh, my video only got 130 views. Like everyone's gonna go, I'm such a loser. Actually, those 130 people didn't even register that you were there. Like yeah. nobody thinks you're a loser because nobody's thinking about you and that's okay. <laughs> you know, especially like while in that time, you know, and then it, you know, as things start to connect and whatever it's people, people just remember the things that made them feel something. And if it made them feel nothing, that usually is when they swiped away. If they, even if they hated it, like that your algorithm is going to pop off because people are going to be mad about it and they're going to keep watching, yeah. <laughs> you know, hate watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I know we only got you for like a couple more minutes because you get a jet, but uh, based on a couple of your songs, I have a couple of questions. Go and for it. If people don't listen to his songs and you'll understand why I asked the questions. I'm not going to explain it to everybody. Uh, do you eat a lot of cheese or do you just wish you could afford to eat more cheese? <laughs> I do eat. I do eat a good amount of cheese. I feel like I'm, I live an active lifestyle for the sole purpose of coming back and then eating cheese and being okay. You know, like a Charlie like, Kelly yes. thing going on. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's, I, I do, I do like cheese. I feel like cheese is probably, is it my favorite food? It's it, cheese is the common ingredient in all of my favorite foods. I think. Okay. All right. Well, uh, if you're just going to sit and eat a block of cheese, what kind of cheese are we talking? A block of cheese It's hard to go wrong with like sharp cheddar is always good. You know, it can you can use it for anything. I also love like like hard hard dry cheeses, like kind of 
like yeah. uh, like Emmental cheese or like. Uh, oh, now you're outside my realm. So yeah. You you are an actual cheese enthusiast, then. I do like cheese, man. It's really good. It's really, <laughs> and and there's so many different ways to make it. I love a good feta. I mean, a feta man can can go in all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I hope you get to continue on this journey of eating cheese. Uh, Thank you. Uh, what board games do you like to play with your friends? Catan. Settlers of Catan is my jam. Oh, nice. I, love I, I just played that for the first time in, or, uh, April. In April was the first time I ever played that game. That's so fun. Uh, right, like when the pandemic really hit, uh, Catan was like the way that we all kept in touch. We would like play over Zoom and all this stuff. And I I probably played, we also got very competitive with it. it. It ceased to become a, we're hanging out and playing a board game to, okay, we're, it's like, we're like playing basketball and there's winners and losers. Like, yeah. <laughs> if, you lose, if you're a loser on the night, you're a loser. Um, but we had a good time with that. Uh, I also really love, um, I love, I love word games, man. Like I love Scrabble. I love Boggle. I've recently gotten really into crossword puzzles. That's not a good one to play with your friends, um, but no. it's a good one to play by yourself. Yeah, it's a good one to play. Well, with your the phone. pandemic was good for that. Yeah. Uh, all right, last one is uh, British TV shows. Yeah, top man, like that was three. A- it's so funny. I like when I wrote that song talking about British TV shows, I had just watched three in a row and I don't think I've watched one since, but really <laughs> I, I had watched um, Fleabag, which I loved. I watched the end of the fucking world, which I also loved. And I watched sex education, that was great. which was also banging. All three of those okay. were just like so incredible. And I was like, all of these like broke some kind of mold. And like, I just like, I was so invested in, in these things. And then, yeah, I don't think I've watched a British TV show in a minute. Then you moved on. I do love Sherlock. Wife, I've always loved Sherlock. That's the that's the banger. That one was great. Luther was also a great show. Oh, my wife I've and I got seen. into this. Yeah, it's sick. My wife okay. and I got into this like solid like British crime drama. Okay. I think we watched all of them on Netflix. I was like, we ran out. We had nothing else to watch. This is like years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they know how to do it, man. They British do. can do crime drama. We did like a we did like a a kick where we went through a whole bunch of like older british comedies like uh are you being the in betweeners and uh black adder and just, oh yeah okay oh they're terrible in such a Did great you watch way the british um whose line whose line is it anyway no that no. sounds great though those are good those are good yeah and then they you know came to the u.s and they did the same show here but those are all fantastic i wish they come back with that Bad. well man, i know you're gonna get out of here so We'll let you off, but man, Thank thanks you. so much for hanging out with us, dude. This Yo, was fun. that was so fun. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, where can everybody find you? Oh, find me on the internet. If you Google Ian McConnell, I'm convinced I'm the most famous Ian McConnell to ever exist. And so you'll find me there. Or you can type <laughs> nice. in at Ian McConnell Music on your social media of choice. TikTok and Instagram and YouTube are probably the best bets. And you'll find me there. Perfect. Yes. And new projects dropping soon, right? Oh, yeah, it comes out next week. I really got to finish it. <laughs> it comes out next week and you have to finish it. Well, this will come out after that. So we can uh, reference, you can reference back to it. Exactly. Yeah, back to, oh, man, this uh, this project that totally got done three days from now um, comes out <laughs> October 20th. It's a weekly release every Thursday night for five weeks. I'm dropping a new song. It's like a series of covers-ish I like take old choruses from famous songs and I re- make, turn them into completely different songs. 
Um, and it's a fun and experimental thing that I'm doing. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Go find Ian on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we will see you next time.